You are listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast, brought to you by Bobby Hayeri and Darren Venter, founders of the Investors Agency and DBA. With over 20 years' experience in real estate between them and having bought hundreds, if not thousands, of properties around the country, you are in the right place to learn all things property. This podcast is designed to educate and empower everyday Aussies to take control of their future through property. Hey guys, and welcome to the Lazy Equity Podcast, and I'm super excited in this episode to have one of our team on the show with a background in sports science and then an obsession with being superhuman, Ben Killen. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> what an introduction. Jeez. <laughs> obsession with being superhuman. I guess that implies that I would be superhuman, right? <laughs> well, that's why we got you on here, exactly. <laughs> Um, look, for you, for you listeners, um, today's going to be a, a different show to, to normal. When I first did the introduction to the Lazy Equity podcast, I mentioned that the podcast is going to be about property investing, self-development, uh, self-improvement. That's something that I'm extremely passionate about. And uh, that's why I've got you on here today, more so for the self-development and self-improvement side of things. You've been with us for a few months now, and I've learned a lot from you and, and at a ripe young age of... 20, how old, how old are you, 20? 27, turning 28. At a ripe young age of 27, <laughs> 28, your maturity and skills and abilities that you have just in day-to-day life and routines and, and I guess the knowledge that you have in self-improvement is, is a big benefit to everyone in the office. So I think the listeners will gain a ton of value uh, for you coming on as well. Cool. Uh, I mean, what a uh, what an introduction. It's not, not often you get an intro like that, but yeah, I guess I like to think that when people get to know me, like they sort of see some of the things I do and get a bit curious about that. And I guess most of it really just came from from reading and learning from a lot of the people who are doing it best. Um, so I guess that's sort of what I pride myself on with that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, let's touch on, before we touch on who you, were, who you are personally and, and how you ended up where you are now, you just said a lot of it comes from reading. One of the things that I find really impressive is almost every day you quote something that you read at some stage <laughs> in your life. And like a, a lot of people read and I'm probably guilty of this as well, where I read quite a bit, but the amount that I take in is not as much as I'd like. Um, and there's skills and tools that you can use to improve that. And I'm you know, learning on how, how to improve that day by day. But um, when you read, you take in a lot of what you actually read and you implement it, which is the, the difference between um, those who, between, I guess, yeah, those who can implement things and, and those who can't. But why don't you tell the listeners uh, a bit about who you were professionally um, and personally and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, no, awesome. I uh, would love to. Like, I think the easiest way to, I guess, frame everything really is looking back at, like I sort of do a few things across a bunch of different areas, but it's fundamentally from this drive and desire to sort of almost be superhuman, quote unquote. Um, and that came from really like before the age of about, around about the age of 13. Um, before that, I had struggled massively with my body image. Um, I was like that kid that, I always joke about this, like that kid that when playing rugby league as a kid, uh, your parents would be scared for me to play against your kids because I was so much bigger than everyone else. <laughs> okay, well, for those who aren't going to be watching, those who are just listening, you're how tall are you? I'm six six, six six. So, so like 198 centimeters. You're you're a big boy. So yeah. so what, and what happened at 13 was there. I mean, you don't have to share it if you don't want to. Was there if you, if you are comfortable to share? Was there something at 13 that that gave flicked that switch inside of you? Yeah, like absolutely comfortable sharing. Um, And I mean, really, I don't know what it was, to be honest. I think I've done a bit of research in it since and apparently like 13 is about the age where your dopamine levels really start to like achieve their baseline. 
So dopamine is essentially the, the motivation molecule. And at that age, like they talk about, if your ambitions are really high, then you're going to be sort of a high, I guess, achiever or a high striver for life. Yeah. Um, and I just said, like, stuff it. I don't want to worry about my body image anymore. I don't want to be the fat kid at school who, like, I was scared to take my shirt off. I was uncomfortable around people. I was sort of awkward socially, didn't have any brothers or sisters um, and felt kind of awkward. And I guess I just said, like, I want to be, you know, better. I want to sort of be the best that I can possibly be. And that was, I guess, the switch. I don't know exactly what it was, but yeah. I guess I just, I saw that it might have been possible yeah. and, and just figured, well, why not give it a crack, you know? Yeah, well, that's a big change from from you know, over the last sort of 12, 13 years. I saw a photo of you with your partner, Ty, and your budgie smugglers by the <laughs> by the beach the other day. So going from being uncomfortable to take your shirt off to in your budgies by the beach, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big, big shift, so well done. <laughs> yeah, I guess the budgie smugglers is more just I love having a laugh and I feel like budgie smuggler was just a classic, I don't know if I can say the word, but just a piss take kind of thing. And I yeah. always loved being that guy who just came out and had a good time and was able to take the piss a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I now feel very comfortable with it, but it's more just around not taking myself too seriously, to be honest. Yeah, that's so important in life, not to take yourself too seriously and to be able to stop and smell the right roses and be grateful for everything you have, which is a lot of people find it hard to do, sort of just going through those day-to-day motions. But so at 13, that's sort of what you went through and then uh, and then you had a bit of a switch where you, I guess, um, didn't want to be that fat kid at school anymore, quote unquote. I'm just repeating what you said. Yeah. Um, and then I guess what's what's uh, what life decisions did you make from there to lead to where you are now and what did you go through? Yeah, really, so fundamentally, like I, over time, discovered that my purpose and the thing I'm most interested in is maximising human potential and... I came across that because I first sort of worked with, like I used to watch a lot of cartoons, so like Dragon Ball Z and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Played tons of video games when I was young and I basically like cut that off at like 16 because I realised it wasn't serving me any longer. But, you know, the figures in those shows and games, they're all these jacked, godlike figures. And so I guess that was like imprinted in my, my brain at that time. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to sort of grow up at a time where the internet just became, you know, this massive resource where you could go on YouTube and find information and really good stuff. And for, for good or for worse, I actually was really into like men's fitness and that's how I first started to solve my own problems. Okay. Um, and I realized that, and this is what I know now, knowing about sort of self-development and the foundations of it, the, the thing that you can have the biggest impact on in terms of things that really improve quality of life in the shortest amount of time, I firmly believe it's, it's your physical health. I, I really believe with my work as a personal trainer and working you know, with some really high-level corporates and then also in exercise physiology, you can sort of up improve the human body in, in 90 days, basically. In 90 days, someone can completely upregulate their health, uh, basically look pretty close to how they want to look within 90 days. And for me, you can't necessarily put on like a ton of muscle mass in that time, but looking at the exercise physiology of it, which is sort of my scientific background, you can lose about up to to 10 kilos of of pure like body fat in a 90 day period without that much drastic change. Um, And this is one thing that I'm sort of really into now is like just ways that it fits with a modern lifestyle for most people. Yeah. I think Um, ways that, ways that, um, losing that body weight or being healthy fits with a modern lifestyle? Well, I guess just how can you make that sustainable? Like we have a a genetic code that we're sort of designed to function a certain way. Like if you look at 
the studies, it shows that ancestors would walk about 16 to 18 kilometres a day or 16 to 18,000 steps a day. Yeah. Um, and that is pretty standard for most of us. Like if we don't walk that much, then we're not going to burn as much fat because fat is essentially burnt through aerobic activity. Yeah. And aerobic activity is just walking. So walking is one of the most critical things for us to sort of look good and, and be as healthy as we could possibly be. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a bit of resistance training in there. We'd have to pick up some heavy things. Yeah. But essentially we're designed to move. We're designed to eat a certain way. Yeah. And when we live more closely to that, our body responds. Um, and we sort of have this innate sense of what is and isn't attractive, I guess, without going too deep into that. Yeah. And it tends to be that leaner people are viewed as more attractive when you look at the science behind that. And, I mean, I guess there's a whole sense of subjectivity to that yeah but that's what i guess led me down the path of physical health and being really interested in in that side of human potential sure quote unquote yeah and then i guess as i dove deeper um i started with that started to solve my own problems turn my my commutes to school into like a university and basically chuck on a podcast listen to a book um and that's where i stumbled across tim ferris was probably actually the biggest one that Set me on a few other paths of interest. Just before, sorry, I cut you off, cut you off. I just don't want to. I want to reiterate this to the listeners. You just said your walk to university, your walk walk to school was a university, essentially. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah. So I completely, I can resonate with that. Like my, for most of those listeners would know, and if you don't, I had a gardening business. And I had that for about 12 years and I was listening to property investing and finance and the economy and, and how, how different markets work for eight hours a day when I was on the tools. And then towards the end of having that business, I wasn't on the tools anymore. I was driving around all day, eight hours a day in the car. So I just wanted to sort of stop you there. And hopefully I haven't made you forget what you were, where you were going towards. But for those listeners, um, it's really important. You can just sit in the car and listen to Kyle and Jackie O. I don't, I don't mind them but or listen to Nova or whatever, but you're not going to gain any value. But if you're traveling for two or three hours a day, there is so much uh, information that you can um, teach yourself during that time. I think they say uh, this normal person traveling to and from work within two years can learn the same amount of a um, college degree or a university degree if they keep listening to the same thing over the two-year time frame something like that i know you probably know the stat in your head but (laughs) (laughs) well like anecdotally absolutely like i did a university degree and university was an amazing experience for everything except for the curriculum basically yeah um but absolutely learn far more in the commutes because it was something that i was interested in and and that's probably the most important thing for for people who are interested in what you said in the beginning where like i'm able to retain a lot of stuff that i read and it fundamentally comes from interest. Yep. So the way that the neuroscience of it works is that like when you're curious about something, you sort of have prior knowledge about it and you have an invested interest in, I guess, taking that information in. And the thing that creates memory is the prior knowledge for you to layer those new neurons and the new information on. Yeah. So with interest and prior knowledge comes more attention. And there's a whole sort of hierarchy of retention and things like that but that's the most fundamental and important thing and i completely agree like you know most people university isn't as useful for the information as much as it is for everything else that comes outside of it but self-educating is i think that's the way of the future like with the way that the internet is now we can essentially learn anything and then i mean we spoke about this the other day like with AI, um, people are doing less sort of manual work and able to use your creativity a bit more. 
And so if people can sort of self-learn some critical skills, it can be done in time where you're commuting and that analogy of, you know, you, well, not the analogy, that experience of you spending time in the landscaping business, eight hours listening to a podcast, like that was like, at one stage, that would have been a dream for me, you know, like listening to that much content and being able to absorb things and apply it to levels of interest. Like it's just incredible to have that time really. And, and everyone, I feel like has that time. Like I'm a big believer in, you got 168 hours in the week and you know, the difference between those who have achieved amazing things and most people is their ability to focus those hours on specific things. Yeah. Um, and I've got, I'm sort of working on some systems as to how that can actually play out for, for a lot of people because I feel like you know, with purpose comes happiness and joy and, and experiencing things. And so, yeah, that's one thing I, I did really want to talk about. And we, we spoke a little bit about this before today, yeah. for sure. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll dive into that into that deeper as well. But um, so, yeah, you were listening to essentially, you were educating yourself on the way to school um, about sports science and yep. sports nutrition, essentially. Yeah, so it was initially like actually sports science. And then I got into YouTube Um guy called like Elliot Hulse was one of my first mentors there. And now he's gone into spirituality. But I guess the point I was trying to make is like what you find with a lot of these people who are into like health and fitness is that it sort of reaches this point of like, okay, there's only so much I can talk about with health and fitness now. And yeah. we're sort of getting there with investing. It's like, there's only so much you can talk about when it comes to investing, because I think the, the easiest way to explain it is when you look at the hierarchy of needs and I guess to underscore everything, I feel like the, the most, the thing that we're most of us are striving for is like maximum happiness and maximum joy. Yeah. And it actually is a bit of a dichotomy in that like to be the happiest, you actually can just be content with not having too much. Like when you look at the research of who are the happiest, it's like Bhutanese refugees. Yeah, monks and, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like monks are the happiest and they have nothing and well, they depression, don't actually want that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Right. Depression is the, the highest in Western cultures who have quote unquote the most absolutely right? but there's just um like suicide is i would say it's a pandemic in in, in australia america and an anti anti-depression um, medication is 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 rife across you know the western countries we have the most we're the wealthiest people in the world and and so <laughs> there's they're wealthiest in in the sense of material but not in sense of you know real life yeah um so i 100 percent agree there and like it's it's so true like when you look at and this is something, I guess the point I'm trying to get at is that you go beyond just the fundamentals of, I guess like you look at the hierarchy of needs and for anyone who's not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, have you seen the, the pyramid before? Yeah. That yeah, yeah, I have. Essentially, it's like lower order needs where it's sort of food, shelter, safety, and then it progresses up to how you view yourself and then it's how you're relating with others and relating with others in the world. But then as you satisfied those things it goes towards more esoteric appreciation of beauty form art what's esoteric uh esoteric would sort of be something that isn't necessarily measurable okay. so something that is outside of the realm of of what we would usually experience in daily life and i guess that can be somewhat scientific when you look at uh the the metaphysics of you know quantum physics which basically is you know beyond atoms there's a uh, this is going a little bit I guess, spiritual sort of thing. But when you take a science lens on it, the quantum physics of actually like observing, basically everything is all energy and waves. And so when you observe something, you inherently change it in, in the realm of quantum physics. And that's important because a lot of people think, oh, 
that's rubbish, that sort of um, spiritual side of things. But it's really important to tie into the esoteric because that has a massive impact on the way that we view things. And yeah, as one of the habits that I'm really big on is is gratitude and yeah. experiencing gratitude in daily life. And there's been a ton of scientific research on that. Yeah. When we're grateful, your biology, physiology, everything really gets optimized. Um, and there's a whole field of science on that in line with epigenetics. Yeah. Um, but I think to tie it back to the hierarchy of needs, effectively at the top of it is self-actualization, um, which is effectively just becoming self or not self-conscious. So going beyond yourself and realizing that the most important thing is not worrying about your own situation and contributing to others. Yeah. And that's what I was sort of getting at with those monks and the refugees and things like that. Like when people are at their happiest is when they're serving, they're doing something like they sort of use these quotes, like find your art, which yeah. is basically expressing yourself in a way. Um, for some people that might be writing, for some people that might be surfing, for others it might be actual physical painting and art and things like that. Yeah. For dads it's probably you know, doing something on the computer, designing a website or something like that, you know. <laughs> Everyone has their own form of art. Yeah. And then the the second thing is, you know, act in service. And that's a core tenant for pretty much, I mean, without getting too spiritual, like religions and things like that, but also just when you see people who are at the happiest, that is what um, the research shows. Yeah, and I think um, uh, my wife and I were talking about this uh, uh, a while ago. She's she's religious, I'm not, and we'd, we'd talk about it every once in a while. Um, and we're talking about gratitude and religion. And essentially, I was saying how a lot of a lot of the a lot of people who you see who are the happiest are religious as well. And I think that that well, I don't know if that making an assumption but i do feel a lot of the people who are quite happy and content it's because they are religious but i think that's also because they're practicing gratitude every day when i say practicing gratitude they're they're praying and being thankful yeah. so that's just having a chemical uh, that's having a it's 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 um it's having a chemical re reaction in your brain right if you're if you're being thankful and 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 praying mm -hmm. to the non-religious person, that's yep. exactly the same. It's just practicing gratitude. So to me, when I am practicing gratitude in the mornings or at night, um, I'm doing that exact same sort of um, chemical reaction in my brain. Yeah, no, and that's that's such an interesting insight. And I, I guess going down the, the road of self-development, like essentially you go beyond just, okay, health and then sort of what next. Um, and that's where I was talking about Tim Ferriss because he started yeah. introducing investing and business and things like that. But then that whole spiritual realm that you just talked about, and I think this is a really interesting insight. There was actually a show that Morgan Freeman did called The Story of God. It was on Netflix at one stage. It's, it was really good, but effectively what it shows is like the story of God, quote-unquote, in all forms of different religion. And no matter what religion someone's within, like I think people are sort of creating their own versions of religion now, which is almost like what I'm into and what a lot of people are on YouTube or into, for example, where it's basically understanding the things that religion tries to teach. Like the way I think about religion is it's just a, a roadmap of narratives around the way that people can be the happiest they could be. And at the time, they didn't have science, so they explained it through the stories that they told in religion. Yeah. And you look at like Indigenous Australian religion and their stories and the, the tenants are fundamentally very, very similar 
in terms of the way that you should act and live your life in all religions. Yeah. And then the way that the narratives that go around the religions is effectively the story for how people can live to ultimately achieve happiness, um, purpose, fulfillment. And I mean, they, you know, they talk about faith, for example, like trusting in, in faith and trusting in the universe. And when people just simply trust what happens and, and don't worry too much about what might happen, that's where, you know, people have been shown to be the happiest. Yeah. And I guess just to, slightly touch back on where we were talking about western countries have the highest sort of suicide rates and sort of the most unhappiness when you look at like western philosophy um you've got the (laughs) the western world where it's like the west was let's change the world i want to change everything in the world whereas the east was like you need to change yourself to fit the world and that's sort of the fundamental differences between it's a dichotomy because really and when i say dichotomy i mean like they're two opposing ideas. Yeah. And when you look at most things, there's always going to be, this is right at some stage and this is also right at some stage. Yeah. Um, and the West breeds a sense of, I guess, lack of contentment and unhappiness because you're always trying to be better, do more, strive for more. Yeah. But the East is like, you don't need any more. You're perfectly happy with where you're at. And the way that I personally believe it and this is the way a lot of people see it is that you need both. To, to be at your happiest, you need to strive for a better world, strive to end suffering. For me, it's striving to maximise human potential. Yeah. Um, and then you also know that it's, an, it's a never-ending journey. It's something you're always going to be on. Yeah. And so it doesn't necessarily matter that you're not there yet because you're never going to be there. So you can simply just enjoy the present yeah. while also having these amazing things that you're doing. I totally agree with you. So like if, if someone is just focusing on the goal but not enjoying that, I hate the word journey, but if someone's not enjoying that journey or the process, then that's when people are not content and not grateful and you can go down the rabbit hole of depression and anxiety and all that sort of stuff. Um, but if you're essentially enjoying that process, then it, it, it helps with all that. Another thing as well that that you said just then that really resonated with me was finding that balance of – being content and grateful for everything you have, but then still striving for more. Mm. I like personally, I went through, I like personally, so at the moment, and a lot of the team know about this as well. So if like five years ago, someone would say in five years time, you're going to be in the position where you are now with your career, with your family, with uh, everything, all other aspects, with your health, everything, uh, I would have said, well, I'm going to be so grateful and so happy and and I'll have everything I want in life. Mm. And then I sort of realised that one of the guys on the Christmas party actually said, he was a lot younger, James, he's yeah. like 10 years younger than me. He was saying, I'd love to sort of be where you are, your, your age. And it was a it was a bit of an aha moment or a, or a light bulb moment to me because I'm because it was sort of like I realised five years ago or 10 years ago I have everything that I sort of wanted, yeah. but I was struggling really hard to just to be uh, grateful and happy and, 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 and enjoying life. Um, not that I say I'm not enjoying life, but I didn't have that gratitude there. Yeah. So since then I've been putting in... Um, quite a good routine and quite good structures to to sort of make me more aware of that um but yeah it's funny you said that because i totally resonated that's really cool like and i guess the more you learn about gratitude and the power of it and this is a this is something that if if anyone was listening to this and, and got one thing out of it it would be like gratitude is the most powerful thing that will literally change your life because you can't be sad and grateful at the same time yeah um and there's tons of science on this like there was a Joe Dispenser, for example, has 
amazing talks on this kind of thing. Uh, but really the the whole gratitude side of things, like one thing that a system I put in place, there was a book called uh, A Code of the Extraordinary Mind by a guy called Vishen Lakhani. Yeah. If, if I pronounce his name wrong, I'm sorry. But he he basically has this thing called Mind Valley, which is like a masterclass for spiritual stuff. And there's a particular YouTube video called The Six Phase Meditation. And it goes through just basically like recognizing where you are at the moment, grounding yourself. And then a lot of it is around gratitude and just really doing things within yourself that you can do at any time to optimize your physiology and prime yourself for gratitude yeah. and also projecting like a, a vision into the future. Yeah. Um, and so this is one thing that I firmly believe is that every person has within inside them like an innate ability to do something incredible. Uh, it's different for each person because we all have different things that we're, I guess, better at. For example, like I'm quite good with, with people and enjoy talking and verbalizing, whereas other people aren't so good at that. Yeah. Um, and that's just something that is within me. And not everyone's going to be into, you know, optimizing health and science and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. For whatever reason, that's something that I'm into. Yeah. And the like one of the things I'm really passionate about with human potential is not just those in the Western world, but also like, you know, Bill Gates has strove to do tons of stuff with uh, vaccines and giving back to third world because People in the third world, like they're, we're all the same. Like we all came 30, 40,000 years ago from Africans who you know, migrated across the world. We're all people at the end of the day with different skills and gifts. Yeah. And fundamentally, like, you know, my partner's Brazilian. We're in the favelas in Brazil and you see how happy the people in the favelas are that have nothing and they're dealing with crime and drugs and wars and things like that. But, you know, they all have the same ability that I have to yeah. do things. And I just feel like, that's where, you know, contributing to, to people and giving them access. Like I learned everything basically through the internet. If people had access to the internet and could have their base psychological needs taken care of, who knows what they'd be able to achieve yeah. really. And that's one of the things that I'm probably most passionate about. Um, and I think that's a, it's something that I you know, really like talking about because it gives people a sense of, I guess, in positive psychology, they talk about upward comparison where if you compare upwards and think, how good do I have it compared to how far do I have to go? Say that again. So if you think, how, how good do I have it in comparison to how far do I have to go? So effectively the upward comparison, and, and you can Google this, but it's basically like when you're thinking, like you know, we're in Australia, for example, and yeah. through what we do, like you basically as an Australian, you can work a full-time job and you can pretty comfortably invest intelligently and be sort of financially free within like 10 years. Yeah. And for any Australian with a full-time job, they can think about that and be like, wow, this is like, I'm in the 1% already. Like yeah. think about any other country in the world, like America, not really possible. The wealth gap there is insane. Yeah. Brazil, I could, you know, my partner wanted to get out of there as soon as she could, because it's just the inequality there and the ability to get ahead is so tough. Yeah, I um I back in the in the landscaping business, we had about twelve or there was twelve staff including me, and they were from all, all over the country. They were from all over the world. Sorry, that we had um, Italians, Brazilians, Argentinians, uh, North Americans, uh, Asians. We had we had people from everywhere, and and what every single one of them said was in comparison to their own country, it's the uh, it, 
you can come to Australia with more or less no skills, no uh, skills when I say quote unquote in terms of what we consider skills with, you know, education or whatever it might be, but you can come in and as long as you want to put in, uh, then you can get ahead in life. They were, they were able to uh, go on holidays every year just from working. They were able to buy a car just within a few months of working here. That's just simple things like some of the guys were saying they can eat meat once a week. Yeah. They couldn't afford to do that know, um, right? back in their back in their own country. So, so I, I even though that gap is getting bigger and bigger in Australia, I also am of the belief there is enough work out there, and the pay is still strong enough where if you do want to put in that effort, you can get ahead in life. Hundred percent, and like that's where you know coming here and working in this business and just saying what we can do for people in terms of creating financial freedom, like I seriously feel like it is accessible to people. And I was really big on like, you know, that mission of empowering people to achieve that is something I really resonate with because I, I realized that like living with abundance and taking like an optimistic perspective in life fundamentally took me from, you know, when I was in high school, I guess I was happy 50, 60% of the time. And I was operating on this operating system that I guess most people are on society sort of perpetuates and then when i understood that wow like you know if you're just grateful and you live with abundance and instead of being naturally pessimistic you learn to be optimistic yeah not only does it improve what you end up doing and a lot of people say oh it's rose-colored glasses but i mean at the end of the day you can view anything with a bad light or with a good light but when you view it with the good light your physiology is completely changed and whether you believe it or not it, it does have an impact on reality. Yeah, you, I, you see it happen all the time where two people are hit with the same scenario, one person, and then how they deal with it is how the rest of their day or the rest of their week or the rest of their month or year turns out just yeah. based on how they deal with it. You can be, you can, it, it happens all, all the time. And you, if you're sort of aware of that, you can see how, how it's, it, it's playing in day-to-day life. In terms of uh, journaling, uh, sorry, in terms of gratitude, and you say it's the single most powerful tool, I 100% agree with you. So, for me, I am able to be more present when I write things down. Otherwise, my mind's normally going quite fast. So I do have a journal and I'm not doing it as much as I'd like, but generally three days a week I'll journal or four days a week I'll journal. Um, and I notice generally when things get more stressful is that's when I'll, I'll start start journaling more. I notice that by the end of that four days, that difference. I can, As I've gotten older, you become more acute and more aware of your sort of how, how, how you're working and you're thinking and even just you become more aware of stress levels and anxiety and all that sort of stuff and I can tell just from three or four days of journaling and practicing gratitude or writing down my thoughts that it's gone like literally you know it's I've done 180 degrees just within a couple of days of doing that yeah it's it is really you know, pretty incredible what that can do and and other things like you know there's a this I got from um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who's like, you've listened to a few podcasts from him, but there's, yeah. it's known as the physiological sigh. And I think this is just an example of something where, like, once you understand that, like, we're living in a meat vessel, we're living in a body that's, it's governed by certain rules. I actually did a, a speech on this ages ago. It's on YouTube called The Biological Rule Book. And, like, I sort of was just taking my best guess of it at the time. Yeah. But I think it's an important concept, more so than what I talked about in that speech, because it's like, the, the rule book is you're living in this body and it, it does have certain rules. Like if you eat crap food, if you eat a lot of sugar, you're going to feel terrible. If you don't sleep, you're going to feel terrible. Yeah. But something as simple as the physiological sigh, which is literally like inhale twice through the nose 
and breathe out through the mouth. Like if, if someone was listening to this, you can do it. Like And literally you feel this sense of calming and just complete at ease essentially. Yeah. And that can be done in two, three seconds, yet it has a complete effect on your physiology and sense of anxiety and calmness. And that can be done at any time. Yeah, we'll talk. Let's. I'm keen to a little bit later on talk about sort of different tools and techniques that you use on a day to day to day basis, um, and and sort of the benefits of them. So I'm I'm super keen to to dive into that a little bit later. To talk to how I ended up, I guess getting into entrepreneurship and business and investing. Yep. So stumbled across Tim Ferriss, and there's a book called The Four Hour Work Week, which I'm sure every single human being on the planet knows <laughs> of these days. But effectively, it just put the idea in my head that. Look, you don't need to work your conventional kind of job and a lot of what people are doing is sort of just, I guess, being cogs in a machine. And From there, I was like, oh, yeah, it's so true. Um, And if you empower yourself with investing and you empower yourself with uh, business and sort of where you want to go in your career, you can essentially design – It's the concept of lifestyle design was what he talked about. And I sort of became obsessed with that. Yeah. It was like design your lifestyle, your ideal lifestyle around your work and let your work support that. Yeah. Um, and that led me down the path like, you know, in school I could have probably gone into medicine. Mum and dad were like, you love to talk, why don't you be a lawyer? And I was like, no, I don't know if it necessarily <laughs> works that way. Um, but I sort of, you know, dove diving into health and, and all that kind of stuff leads me into like investing, business, all of that entrepreneurship interest and then i guess that put me on the path of wanting to learn more about uh, i guess the marketing side of things and what i realized in even though i studied science at university um, and i wanted to actually be a strength and conditioning coach for the los angeles lakers i'm a massive basketball fan Um, you play semi-professionally right yeah play semi-professionally at the moment um three on three basketball which we'll probably talk about but great um really enjoy basketball and I guess like it's sort of like a an experiment like I'm my own experiment in that sense because like I get to apply everything I'm trying to learn in high performance a lot of people are like oh who's this guy like what's he done but I guess like I'm I'm not like the world's best basketballer but I like to think like I've achieved some pretty cool things performance wise as a result of what I've learned and really going down those different rabbit holes myself as an experiment like it's that's how I think about everything I do in my life. Like I'm just testing things that I learn yeah. on myself. Um, and that's like, I guess the most fun you can have because it's sort of just exploring that curiosity. Yeah. I guess I view myself as an experiment. And for me, that's about exploring the curiosity to you know, understand, okay, what are some cool things that I'm trying to do? And then just applying a lot of the stuff that I'm learning on myself and seeing how that works in the real world and for me you know that's the most fun that you can have really like you learn something and apply it to the real world and see it impact your life um and so i think you know that goes on to one thing i do want to introduce is just the seven areas of empowerment which i think really helps to understand like how this all relates so there's the, the hierarchy of needs but then also, I think about the seven areas of empowerment and if someone wants to live a, a good and happy life, empowering themselves in these areas. If you don't empower yourself, and I actually got this idea from um, John Demartini, who's a very popular personal development speaker. Yeah. Um, and he talks about the, the seven areas 
as one of the fundamental things for all of his stuff. And I guess to, to quickly touch on those seven areas, I might forget one, but you've got physical, you've got mental, vocational, family, familial. What do you mean by vocational? A vocational would be your career and okay. the job that you do. Yep. And mental would more be like your creativity and uh, I guess knowledge and intelligence yep. and things that spark the growth of the brain. Yep. The more you challenge the brain, the more it grows. Sure. Um, that's sort of this idea of neuroplasticity. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so the, the vocational, which is your job, career, things that you're doing, and then there would be like your spiritual, so understanding how you relate to the broader sense of the world. Yeah. Um, then there's family, which is your partner, um, you know, whether you have a family and it's just yourself or whether it's a family with you know, kids, wife, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then there's like your social contribution, uh, which is that side of you know, giving back. And... There is one other, but anyway, these can be looked up, but effectively the key idea that I got from this was like, if you don't empower yourself to direct your life in the way that you want it to be directed and take control of these seven areas of empowerment, and I take this really seriously, like I've got this written out in a document and I look at it every day and I'm like, what are the key things I'm working towards? Every, every morning before you wake, well, before you leave the house or every night? Every morning. Um, I, I like to, in the morning, get up, go for a walk, get some sunlight and do a bit of physical activity. Yep. That's one of the most important things that you can do physiologically that'll help you to get your circadian rhythms on point and yep. start to produce um, the, the energy you need for the day yep. and get the adrenaline going. Um, and it actually helps you to sort of reset your, your sleep rhythms as well. And another thing that I do there is making sure that you don't have caffeine until 90 minutes after waking yep. just because that can affect your energy throughout the day. Yep. But if I look at it in the morning, and this is in line with that six-phase meditation, so all of this stuff might sound like independent, discrete bits of information, but like what I'm big on is systems and having a system that's repeatable because like once people talk about habits, but once something, I think an even faster way to shortcut a habit is just making a system. And I use a Google Calendar, for example. My calendar looks ridiculous because it's literally every hour is blocked out. <laughs> when we first started working together, I would just, if, I, if I flicked on your calendar, I'd get anxiety. I'd turn it straight, <laughs> turn it straight back off. But now I, I'd, I've actually picked up great habit from you in, in regards to how you block out your days, and it's helped me a lot as well. And like I, all of this stuff, I've just pulled from the smartest people in the world. So like Elon Musk has five minute blocks in his calendar, <laughs> and like I, I feel like. It'd be hard to argue there's anyone more productive than Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, but time blocking is a, is an age-old thing that people have been doing for a long time. And I think time blocking is important when you look at these seven areas of empowerment. Like at the end of the day, the only currency that we really have is time. Yeah. Um, and as you progress more in your career, then obviously you can make more money per unit of time. Yeah. But time is the only thing that is the same for everyone. So learning to master that and understanding how you function best and then putting some of these like biological rules within a, a, you know, the constraints of our day, which is the time, is the best way to sort of, I guess, get the most out of productivity. Yeah. Um, and I did speak a little bit about like, I guess, I feel like everyone should learn the fundamentals of high performance. And I feel like more and more authors are publishing this kind of stuff now. Yeah. So like, I wish this was taught at school. You know, like it should this be, 100%. Is, this is stuff that people are discovering now. Um, and each book sort of has like little hints towards it, but you'll find that you know, most high performance people will do very similar things 
to what I'm describing and then there's maybe a few different other little tips that are within it. But then if they if they did teach it at school, there could be uh, an argument that, I mean, at the moment the school system teaches people to just go through go through life, get their degree or, or go go and get into the rat race and do their nine to five or eight to five or eight to six and, and work till they're 70 and, and essentially that runs the whole system, right? So that's what the school system is teaching. But if, uh, if, if everyone became a high performer and started working four hours a day or three hours a day and started opening, you know, running their own business or, or living, uh, living lifestyle by design, then there'd be a big shakeup in regards to what that system looks like. Absolutely. Um, and I guess it's, it's a really interesting philosophical point because like those seven areas of empowerment, like what I was sort of trying to get at was that if you don't empower yourself, in each of those seven areas, you will be empowered by someone else. So you'll live someone else's dream in that respect. So for example, like if you're not empowering yourself and your physical health is what happened to me. I didn't take control of my health up until 13. And because my family genetics are more predisposed to putting on excess fat um, and like I ate what all the other kids ate and there were some kids who were walking around with a six-pack <laughs> and I was walking around with this big guy yeah. um, and just being sort of overweight. And I guess like if you don't empower yourself in, in that respect, like if you ate what most – like if you eat the food pyramid, for example, what the government tells you to eat, most people are not looking good eating that. Like, all feeling good. All feeling good. Yeah. And, and that's where like this idea of empowerment for me is really important and that's why I take it so seriously to look at every day. Um, and I like to take an action on each of those each day to remind myself. Those seven uh, aspects that you, that you talked about, Tony Robbins talks about something similar, but I think he calls it the wheel of life, and I think it's like five five yeah. wheels of life, but it's more or less the same sort of thing. And and he he talks about how it doesn't matter, essentially, if it's not balanced, if that wheel of life is not balanced and you're not focusing on all five aspects or six aspects or seven aspects equally, yeah. Um, then that's where you can go down spirals of anxiety and, and unproductiveness or depression or or you know mental health issues, um, physical health issues, whatever it might be. So it's very very similar, and and you see it all the time. Like if someone is a multi millionaire or a billionaire, and then they're divorced and their kids don't want to speak to them because they have only focused on their financial or business side of things, or you see someone else who. Uh, uh, you know, has might be might be a millionaire, but then hasn't uh, might be very wealthy financially, but then hasn't looked after their physical health, or someone that has looked after their physical health, but then doesn't focus on any other aspects. That's mm-hmm. where you get these are uh, unbal- imbalances, and and you get these issues with with people. Absolutely, and actually, that was the one that I left out, which is financial, which is funny because it's <laughs> investing <laughs> podcast. Probably not the most. Well, it sort of goes to show I. It's it's I don't it's definitely not the most important thing in the life. Even though our business is is financial and and finance driven, I'm I've been very open to say money's by far like not the most important thing at all. Like there's this there's this video that's um, going viral at the moment where this guy's saying um, this guy's saying that he says rate what the most important thing to you is, and then a lot of people say money, and he says so what if you're um, what if you die tomorrow? And how important is money? What if your parents die tomorrow? How important to you is money? What if, um, you know, he gave, he gave four or five different examples and it sort of goes to realise that we're all chasing this thing that we, we, we're all chasing more and more money to thinking it's going to make us more and more happy. But it's it's definitely not going to, it's definitely not making you more happy. You're just getting on that rat race and um, and chasing this pot at the end of the rainbow, which you think, which will think it will fulfil you. But if you're not aware of it, it definitely doesn't. 100%. Like, and I'm so glad we got to talk about what we spoke about in the beginning because, like, 
I think that's become a platitude. And I mean, my platitude is like, it's just, everyone says that like it's become, it's become a cliche, but when you look at the hierarchy of needs, and this is why I absolutely love what we do because it's like, it's not, we're not about investing. We're about abundance and the abundance that the investing creates and property is the, like the easiest way for most people to get there because of the leverage, right? We talk about that a lot, but what happens when you then achieve financial freedom? Well, then people are able to sort of climb up the the hierarchy of needs and move closer towards living towards their most authentic self, which I personally, as an exercise physiologist, uh, I worked at a a business where we were trying to change the health industry. Um, And I'm going to name drop here because I know you know him, Luke Luke Kane. I actually went to see him last night. We're still very close. I used to work there and effectively like, we were trying to change the health industry by improving people who were so far down the the rabbit hole of like living in a conventional way that they'd experienced some some pretty severe health issues. Whereas like I believe that if people did have financial abundance from an earlier age or at least had a bit more freedom in their life, then a lot of the chronic disease issues that they experience just wouldn't amount like if people would be able to exercise more like most chronic disease comes from poor lifestyle comes from stress comes from not moving enough comes from you know not having the time to actually think about what they're eating yeah and that's all perpetuated by what we talked about in the school system unfortunately i don't want to sound like a (laughs) anti-vaxxer but (laughs) i guess that's just is what happens when you go down the rabbit holes of personal development like you realize that most of what we're I guess, quote unquote fed is around outdated ideals. Like the school system is sort of designed around, I guess the industrial revolution and, and working in a nine to five. Yeah. Um, and it was an interesting point that you, you raised where you were sort of saying, well, what if everyone was self-actualized then they'd be starting all these businesses and it'd be a crazy world. But I think it's important because I believe that's the way the world's headed with AI. A lot of manual tasks are becoming more and more redundant, which is the way it should be because like, I know you like we know what it's like when we have to do something manual that just we're like man a machine should be able to do this <laughs> if you could just understand my head yeah you're not able to get into flow and flow is another one of these hacks that i feel like is an absolute game changer and there's tons of research on this amazing amazing books but essentially it's that experience of being so deep engrossed in things that you actually lose sense of time yeah um and it's when work becomes enjoyable and most people spend two three hours of their day in flow and i guess i'm lucky enough to to be i guess the better you get at something the more you experience flow with it and yeah. one of the core criteria of flow is that you're 10 percent above your abilities challenged so it's hard to quantify that exactly but basically if you're challenged just a little bit but not too much yeah then it's not overwhelming but you you challenged enough to be interested yeah and that sort of ties into how i'm able to retain a lot because like if I'm listening to a book that's awesome and I really like it, then you're in a state of flow and we actually get a sense of time dilation. Like our ability to perceive time goes and a couple of hours can fly by like that. Yeah. So you said the average person gets about two or three hours of flow a day. How much flow are you finding that you're having in your days when you're in the office? And then also when you do get those days when you when you work from home, but I'm interested to see what that flow looks like for you um, in the office with the distractions and then also... Um, working wherever you get the best flow yeah and there's a reason i'm asking this question and i'll mention it after 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 you tell me no absolutely it's a it's a hard one because like i think in the office there's i because i'm naturally extroverted and this goes into 
how people, I guess, end up realizing their innate gifts. Like some of us are introverted, some of us are extroverted. And we will talk a little bit about this, but I've done basically every one of the personality behavioral types that you can do because I really believe that if you know yourself then you're able to empower yourself in the best way like I'm not going to be a good computer programmer yeah I am good at talking to people and that's something that I can do because I'm more extroverted um, whereas someone who's more introverted might be better at computer programming and those are two incredibly valuable skills for the current day yeah so I guess that's for me, I experience probably the most flow actually when I'm doing something like this, when I'm talking with you or when I'm talking to someone on the phone about what it is that we're doing. I also experience flow like when I'm writing about something or creating something. Okay. Um, but I think it's it's harder for me to, to get into that without the distractions and I think a lot of people are in that same vein. Harder to get into that with the distractions. If you yeah, with the distractions, yeah. sorry. And in an office environment, that's challenging. Yeah. Um, companies like Amazon, for example, they will engineer the workplace for flow. Um, and there are certain things they do, like, for example, Bezos doesn't allow someone to call a meeting unless they write a one-page report on why a meeting should be called because he knows that meetings are the biggest thing that kill flow. And when someone comes up and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, can you help me with this? That is unfortunately a disruptor of flow. Yeah. And I guess in the office you need that. Um, but all the, you know, there are certain things that you can put in place to to do that, like something like Slack or a messaging channel where someone can message you and you can just basically – the biggest thing that interrupts flow is is distraction. So if, if you've got like a notification coming up, a message coming on, then that's going to interrupt flow. Yeah. Um, and people will experience that. Like it's really hard to sort of get back into that state. Yeah. One, I guess I'll talk about this quickly. One thing I do to, to really engineer flow quite quickly is I use something called binaural beats. Um, it's on YouTube. It's on Spotify. Um, put on a set of sound blocking headphones. What's it called? Binaural beats. Okay. Uh, or binaural beats. Um, and it's it's just basically music at the optimal frequency to match your heartbeat. I think it's like 60 beats per minute. And it slowly transitions you through brainwaves. So you go from alpha to beta to gamma. And that is one of the things that, I mean, like, I don't know exactly what they mean. It's just the terms. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you do. We could go into what, what they mean if you, if you know, but. But um, really, like, I mean, it's a game changer. Put, if someone wants to try it, put it on. Um, and within five, ten minutes, you'll notice, like, your ability to concentrate and focus is just massively leveled up. The team sometimes looks at me because my headphones aren't plugged in and I've got it on. <laughs> and they're like, what is that weird music? But. I used to do this in high school before Bunyal Beach was a thing um, and I didn't do it all the time. I'm not that crazy, but they, <laughs> they told me about if you put on Baroque classical music because it's, I think it's 60 beats per minute, okay. it does the same thing. So it's basically just to, to do with the way that the music frequencies align your heart rate with your um, your brainwaves. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know the exact specific science of it but yeah it's a total game changer it really engineers flow yeah i 100 uh, percent agree with that like you said in terms of the notifications how they disturb flow that's why like on whatsapp i got my notifications off on on slack um i get them on if, if i get tagged but i try to keep it closed and i check it at certain times a day um social media apps on my phone i don't have them i i have them during work hours if i'm going to put something up otherwise i remove them um it's just it's just a big distraction and 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 especially at home, like work is one thing, but then another thing at home, like I get home and I've got one hour by the time I get home with my daughter before she goes to bed yeah. a day. 
and then I've got two hours with my wife before she's helping put the kids down and we've got to put, put the kids down. So like that one or two hours, I don't want my phone to be going off. I don't want notifications. Even if I don't check them, it stops me from being present. Yeah. I already struggle a lot for being present at home by the end of the day because my you just your brain you've got so much clutter in your brain by the end of the day but having your phone just going off at the rate that it does um just completely ruins those sort of one or two hours that you have at home afterwards as well yeah yeah, Um, so i totally get that the reason i asked you in terms of the how much flows what flow your flow state is in the office and what what it is at home speaking to a real estate agent uh yesterday from one of the top Northern Beaches agencies, one of the top and biggest agencies, and about seven or eight of the agents have peeled off and they started their own company. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's very, very new, very, very fresh. And I said, what's the sort of reasoning there? And he said they found it was a very, very big agency with a big floor space. And the first thing he said was, we just weren't doing anything. Wow. We were just in the office. We were just, uh, we were just, it was, everyone was just, it, we were just wasting so much time in the office. It was such a big office. There was nothing put into place to be able to separate it. And the productiveness had dropped right down and the amount of work they were doing had dropped right down and they didn't want to work in a company that big. I don't necessarily think by the sounds of it from what you said with Amazon, it's not about a big company or a small company, but it's about what pools you can put in place to help contribute to that flow. Um, seems as though this, this company didn't, so they just lost like seven or eight of the agents because nothing was being done in the office. That's crazy. Uh, and I guess like, I don't know, it's one of those things like you come to work and this is this is where that empowerment comes into place. Like I feel like a lot of people are sort of walking around just trying to get by doing the minimum because they're not empowered. They don't necessarily have like that vision for what they want to do. Yeah. And like I come into work and sometimes I might seem kind of, I guess, gruff and not wanting to talk to people, but it's like, like I wanted to come in and produce because I know that it's moving the needle forward not only for me, but for everyone that we work with. Yeah. And, you know, by helping a ton of people, like I'm able to benefit as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the things that really aligns with me personally. And so I come in and I'm trying to make sure that I'm able to get into flow as much as possible and get things done. Yeah. And I think the the balance between, you know, being able to have scheduled time for interaction and meetings as well as having that flow is incredibly important and it absolutely isn't, based on you know the size of the company it's more if people can respect what other people need to do to achieve their thing but also like fundamentally like a lot of people they'll take every opportunity they can to to not work and people like a lot of the time it's chalked up to laziness or bad character but i don't believe that it's that like i don't believe that people who are obese are obese because of bad character i think it's because they haven't necessarily had the right empowerment or the right tools to allow them to change their life and they're, they're stuck in that situation. Yeah. And I think it's the same for people who aren't necessarily great at work as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like it absolutely is not the size of the company. It's really understanding what you're doing and you know, by producing it moves you, makes your life better in all fronts, Yeah, especially if you enjoy your work. 100%, that's right. I um, So is there anything else you wanted to touch on um, before? I'd love to get into... Um, about your routines and hacks and, and sort, yeah, of, sort of what you get into. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we dive into that? I think, I guess just to round out the story, it probably doesn't necessarily make sense for people, but uh, effectively I got into, so I went from sports science wanting to be a strength and conditioning coach to marketing and I ended up doing that just because Luke, the guy I talked about who owns MTP Health, yeah. amazing, amazing guy trying to change the industry with exercise physiology and will do it 
100% no. Like basically just trying to in exercise physiology, people, instead of getting surgery straight up, most people should be at least getting doing some exercise. And exercise, as I said, is, is part of the, um, the genetic rule book. Yep. And so in, I guess, exercise and in rehab generally, most people just don't move enough. And so like the way that the medical system is structured, people don't necessarily go through great rehab programs. Yeah. And that was what uh, I really loved about MTP was that we were doing what they taught us in theory at, at uni, but we were actually changing the system to do that. And, I mean, if anyone knows anything about changing a system, it's <laughs> incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, but he's since partnered with the surgeon and, and that will go on to do amazing things. But How long were you at, uh, at MT, MTP for? Um, I was working with them for like four or five years. Wow. Um, so, yeah, just sort of in the end, it ended up being like just part-time, like doing some, some marketing stuff. Yeah. But I mentioned that because Luke – for better or for worse, and he, he will probably listen to this at some stage, <laughs> for better or for worse, he was like, oh, BK, what, what would you like to do in an ideal world? And I was just sort of realising that strength and conditioning was not the industry for me because it's a bit of a boys' club. Um, and I'd spent a fair bit on my education in that industry, but he said, what would you like to be doing? And I was like, oh, I kind of want to be able to have a bit more flexibility in my life. Like I, I love the idea of travelling and and working while traveling as well. Yeah. And it was just really hard to do that as a, as a coach, working one-to-one with people. Yeah. Well, you're trading directly your time for money, right? Absolutely. Um, and since then, like, I believe online solutions uh, are the best possible thing. So, if, like, I'm sort of building out a number of systems to help people just basically get the result that you would achieve with a personal trainer, yeah. but for way less of a cost and through an online system that you can empower yourself on. And I've had that experience with tons of things like learning fundamentals of business and stuff like that. I didn't need a person in front of me teaching it. Yeah. I could learn it online um, and I could be anywhere doing that. So this thing that you're building out, um, when are you expecting it to be completed? Well, effectively, like I just... Forever, forever building it out. Forever refining it. Yeah. But I think at this stage, like I've got the framework in place and I just haven't necessarily like built it out so that it's like people could watch the course but i'm ready to launch it in the sense of like if someone was interested then absolutely could design it so that it was like specific to them and that's how i would sort of i guess build it out and so where 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 can they find if someone was interested and they want to reach out where could they uh probably the best place would be i've been thinking about it for a while but i had this instagram called um sapiens health sapiens is, is a word for wisdom and i said it sort of ties into my i guess general interest in wisdom yeah uh, it doesn't have a ton of followers because like I sort of just procrastinated on it while building my, my career as such and empowering myself financially. But yeah. it was something I wanted to do to, to I guess, just express my passions and, and give back as such. And yeah. um, the Instagram, if someone just saw that, they'd see what it's a bit about um, and just send a DM and basically like it's, it's ready to go and it's something that I can share with people now. Nice. And then... Uh, it would it would be like I'd probably have to have a chat one to one with that person to design it specifically for their situation and yeah. make sure that it all works. Um, so if, if people get in sort of now, then it would be all right. Well, let's make it more specific to you, and yeah. so you get a bit more value than once it's built out. It sort of just be more of like a online system. Or yeah, I guess when it's built out, there's going to be so much information in there that it can ta- it can be tailored to that whatever that person's looking for. They can find it in there. But at the moment, while you're building it out, then potentially not right. Yeah, and that's the idea. And like, we'll get into some of the, I guess, specific 
little hacks that are within that as well. Yeah. I'm just a big believer in adding value. And if someone likes what I have to say, then maybe they're more interested Perfect. down the line. Um, but yeah, so I guess for better or for worse, Luke just said, what would you like to be doing in an ideal world? And I said, I really like the kind of marketing business development side of things. Like, I guess there was a lot of people talking about digital nomad being like marketers. Yeah. And he said, all right, well, let's make it happen. And he just signed up to some programs that sort of were teaching that. And so I was lucky enough to be able to go into those and, and really dive in head first. And I had, I mean, I knew about marketing through my background in psychology. And this is what you, you realize is that at the end of the day, we're just dealing with people. So yeah. if you understand people, then you can be pretty good at, um, you know, sort of any anything to do on those, you know, the marketing and the sales and the uh, sort of business side of things. Yeah. And I just started to cut my teeth there working with him and um, really just diving headfirst and being obsessed with like, okay, how can I learn this? How can I learn that? Um, and then that led me down a, a massive path of getting really into the business side of things while also trying to further my basketball career and taking that a lot more seriously while applying the um, high-performance stuff that we just talked about. Yeah. And that eventually led me to meeting you guys when doing a post in the Sydney Startups Facebook group. And I saw immediately the the power of what you guys did. And when, when talking to you, I was like, wow, what you do is incredible. I didn't realize this existed. Like, what? This is, this is a thing? <laughs> like, you can actually, like, go through and basically just access debt to then build yourself financial freedom in, like, 10 to 15 years for most people. And... I don't. When I talk to people about it, I I don't know how to say it in a low key way without sounding like I'm trying to sell them on <laughs> it. Because it's like this is insane. Like this is what, like when you look at what creates the wealthiest people in Australia, particularly, it's usually always real estate for that reason. Yeah. Because like you're getting your hands on debt, and then that debt pays for itself, and the money doesn't work for you. Yeah, there's no other asset class where you can leverage up to ninety five percent, sometimes a hundred percent. If it's an equity release, it's a hundred percent debt. And then your tenant is 100% paying it off. Absolutely. And you just let time do its thing and and benefit from that over time. So many people don't realize that. You guys have been doing it for 10 years and you've got the best data in the country. And, you know, the real estate industry in Australia is such an incredible asset because it's just there's so much demand and lack of supply. So, like, whenever there's heaps of demand and a lack of supply, that's the fundamentals of what drives returns really and now funny you say sort of so much so much demand and lack of supply now we've got about two hundred and fifty thousand people coming into the country every year and construction industry has shut itself and it's like excuse the language well john posted john the economist posted it was like fifty thousand homes available something like that for two hundred thousand people yeah it's madness it's madness so (laughs) the next the next say three years for tenants unfortunately is going to be extremely difficult Mm -hmm. uh until this new supply comes on but like the government there's no one else to blame but the government they've got to know this if they're bringing in two hundred thousand people they need to know that how much supply there is and and you can't blame anyone else for for this you know crisis in terms of rent that you're having but um, it, it, look, it is what it is, and I guess in terms for investors, as you said, it is an asset class which which you can't really beat when you look around. Absolutely, and and I had this this conversation with with dads before. I don't think we had the chat, but like a lot of people think, oh, investors are these evil, money hungry people that come in and gobble up all the supply, and then they're taking it for themselves. But it's like that's not how economics works. Like economics works based on supply and demand. And so like investors go into like the markets that we go in, for example, these are typically 
underdeveloped areas, areas that are going to have a lot of people going there for a number of factors, a number of reasons. Yeah. And by by investors going in and investing their capital in there, it firstly keeps that capital within the Australian economy, but also it creates more demand in that area. So then developers are incentivized to go in and build. More people are going to build. And that fundamentally bolsters out the Australian economy. And, I mean, I talk about that because, like, a lot of people, they'll take this, like, pessimistic point of view on it and they're quick to just be like, that's crap, that sucks, or, yeah. like, that's that's not a good way to do it. It's like, I don't know what it is, but people are so quick to jump down immediately to the negative or to the pessimistic. And like we spoke about in the beginning, like, that's affecting your biology and your health. Yeah. Um, and there's always going to be negatives to anything. There's no everything's positive or everything's negative. Yeah, well, there's this. It's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous assumption to make that if investors didn't buy properties within a market, every single tenant would be able to afford one. That's an extremely dangerous assumption to make. So Absolutely. some tenants might not be able to afford it. Tenants might not want to buy one. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I personally didn't have an owner-occupier for 10 years. Like I just recently bought one, but I was happily renting for, for 10 years. A lot of people, a lot of our clients are renters. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very dangerous assumption that if investor buys a property, then a tenant can't buy it. And we saw that in the 1980s when negative gearing was abolished. A lot of investors left the market. Rental prices skyrocketed. Yeah. Because some people bought rental properties and there was less demand for rental properties. So those people that couldn't buy them, rent prices skyrocketed. They brought back uh, negative gearing. So yeah. you can't you can't just go and um, sort of blame you know your mum and dad investors for you know this crisis that that is happening in terms of in terms of the rental mm-hmm. um, and a lot of our clients are sort of making seventy thousand dollars a year eighty thousand yeah. dollars a year sixty thousand dollars a year is probably the lowest that that we've we've had a client sort of work with us so they're not the super wealthy um, some of them obviously are as well but yeah it, it is this misconception that investors in Australia are just your super wealthy or super rich and famous that's definitely not the case well like that that supply thing as well like really like if there's no demand then where are the houses going to come from yeah like these houses are needed to be built and the government's not building them like it's independent people that, I mean that's how <laughs> economics works it's yeah. like you take a risk to create something that's of value yeah um, and that's you know, the fundamentals of, of how it drives in. So I think like... Of a capitalist society, right? Absolutely. And I guess that's just how it, it started. And for me, that was really interesting to, to realise because I think a lot of people, they don't necessarily, I guess, see it in that way. And seeing people being able to invest and, and going through and just understanding, okay, yeah, property is... Like, I mean, it's 33% of the economy or whatever like that. So it bolsters well, a massive part yeah, yeah, of the it, economy. The property market, the Australian property is $9 trillion. Australian super is $3 trillion. Yeah. So put that into perspective. <laughs> so from here, what I want to touch on uh, for the listeners, which I think will be a ton of value, is the hacks and routines that you go through on a daily basis. Um, I think that's going to add a lot of ton, a ton of value and you're obviously a wealth of knowledge there. So why don't we start there in terms mm-hmm. of, I guess, what your day-to-day looks like and, and what can the listeners do, what can the listeners implement um, which can improve not just their physical state but but mental state. I think as you get older, and that's why I'm so impressed at your age, 
you focus so much on your mental state because at your age I couldn't care less about my mental state. Maybe that's why I care so much about it now because I just wrote off my mental state when, <laughs> when, I, when I was younger. <laughs> but now for me, the mental state is so much more important. But yeah, let's why, why don't we um, go through that and and um, and and yeah, hear, hear your thoughts. Hundred percent. Like I'd love to. And I guess a couple of things just to talk about with that. Like uh, firstly, like I I want to take a bit of humility into like I mean it's obviously. I really appreciate the wrap up, but I I only got here just from you know my putting in my ten thousand hours. Like I've read the books, I've listened to like a lot of people. I don't know everything, but I feel like I, I know a lot that allows me to you know empower myself in a number of areas. Um, and like it's constantly a work in progress. But I guess to to talk to like the mental state side of things, like as a basketballer and as someone who wants to be. A professional basketball player like I, I still have a goal to go to the Olympics um, I I guess I was lucky enough to be able to trial for Australia which was like sort of a roundabout way to get there which was really cool an amazing experience when was that uh, that was just before the Commonwealth Games last year nice um, and again that, that was a bit of a roundabout way of ending up there um, but it was amazing to play against the the top players and like I'm Currently ranked, I think, 11 in Australia for three-on-three. Three. So good. Um, and three-on-three, three, it's funny. It's like, you know, if I was compared to the, the top 100 players in Australia, like, I would be nowhere there, near there. But three-on-three three is like, it's it's based on your participation. Um, and I feel like I've gone from being, like, not that good at basketball three, four years ago to then just going, like, oh, I'm going to go all in. And I started listening to Kobe. And if anyone who knows basketball and knows Kobe Bryant um, – they know that he's like just a savage. Like he's absolute the the guy that you want to look up to, and he's big on his mental state. And you realize pretty quickly. And this is this what taught me about the mental state. And a great quote that I used to get was like, "A win in one areas is a win in all areas of your life." Yeah. And when you empower yourself in those seven areas of empowerment, like if you're trying to be as physically optimized as you can, and if you have a goal that's worthwhile enough for you. Like I wouldn't have gone as deep into the physical health side of things if I didn't have basketball as a goal. Yeah. Like I looked back at myself two, three years ago and I was like carrying an extra three, four, five percent body fat. And we almost delude ourselves at times about our current state just because like I don't know, you you have this like weird sense of self image at times. Yeah. Um but the Playing, playing basketball and striving for basketball allowed me to realize that you can't be in a poor mental state. You have to sleep well. You have to like do all these things so that you can be the best athlete that you can be. And yeah. it inherently rules out tons of things that you just don't want to do anymore. Like I, I used to be, I used to go out party. Anyone that knows me, like I was sort of life at the party. I used to love that stuff at uni, but now I'm like, I just don't care that much about it because it takes away from the other things in life yeah and if you don't have that full breadth of like areas that you're trying to work towards and, and you don't have a i guess a blue flame and a vision for what you want to do in your life and i'm pretty pedantic about it like it's sort of it's not scripted but it's like i know pretty clearly like where i want to go 10 20 years and working in a financial business like you can see that a lot more clearly because finance is sort of the currency that allows you to do that yeah but Seeing that and having those, and this is this really is probably the biggest hack for me. It gives me the most energy because, like, when you're on, when you're living on purpose and you have a clear vision for what you're doing, 
and you go really big, like 10 year, and then you boil it back down to like, what do I need to do this week to make that happen? Yeah. Um, and it's all about like milestones, objectives, and taking your best guess at what you can achieve. Yeah. Um, but the so we obviously do that in, they talk about that a lot in business, right? In yeah, terms yeah. of business, putting these milestones in place and, and have the whole team work towards these milestones. But you put that, you implement that on a personal level as well. Absolutely. Because like we were talking about, I touched on it briefly with like the quantum physics side of things. Yeah. The observer effect is a real thing. Essentially, like when you look at um, observation, like every all thoughts you have generate some kind of uh, energy and activity. Yeah. And by actually thinking about something, like they talk about this as a thought experiment in physics, when you observe something, like if you, for example, look at a hypothetical particle in a box, but if you were to look at that particle, that if it wasn't in the box, then you inherently change that thing. And so by looking at it and observing it and thinking about it, it's different. It's changed. It's been affected by your energy that you've put into it. And I probably So not your mind has changed, the particle has changed. The particle has changed. So you've you've had an impact on the physical world simply by thinking. Interesting. Um and I mean this goes back to that talk about religion. It's like, okay, well we there's so much we don't know in science. And you can you can look up these thought experiments on YouTube as well, but like I firmly believe that there's a ton that we don't know. And so the religion was just a way to describe what we didn't know at the time. And in the same way that religion was there, now we know more about uh, the subatomic theory and quantum physics and things like that. And I just believe that the the 10 year, three year, one year, and then boiling it back down to like, what do I need to do this week to move the needle forward is just a way of getting more precise about manifesting your ideal future um daz was talking about that with his partner like she's quite big on that and there's a lot of people who are are big on that these days and for me that is the biggest hack interesting that's something i'll have to implement because i don't implement that at all yeah like i'm and like i guess to talk a bit about the process and i probably will end up writing a pretty comprehensive article on this but there are some great processes out there for this type of thing but really i've got like almost like a business plan as such that projects like where, where do I want to be in like 10 years? What do I want to be doing? Like where do I want to live? Like I'd, I want to experience it all. Like I want to be able to go to every country, do all that stuff. Yeah. But you can only be in one place at any one time. Yeah. So you can be quite specific about, okay, 10 years I want to have X, Y, Z on those seven areas of empowerment. Yeah. And the more specific you are on your definition, it's like if you have a, if you're walking around trying to get somewhere compared to if you have a map and a compass, then you know exactly where you're going. Give me an example. So obviously it was seven, those seven aspects. Um, give me an example. Obviously with the finance side of things, that's easy because you just put a dollar figure next to it. But yep. what about the other side of things? Give me an example of how you can be specific in terms of – it doesn't have to be your examples. If you don't want to share them, if, they, if you want to, then that's fine as well. But in terms of um, spirituality or in terms of business or in terms of community or whatever, whatever it is, what are some sort of examples that people can be more specific? Yeah, like I think – Probably the, the coolest one to talk about is the social side of it, which is the community. And I guess it sort of ties into the spiritual. But for me, like, I want to be able to have friends in every part of the world. I want to be able to have someone who I could say, hey, I'm coming to Africa uh, next month. And this ties into the financial side of things. I want to be able to have the flexibility in my career to be so good at what I do that it doesn't matter where I am that I'm able to, to do it incredibly well. Yeah. But 
in in the social side of things, like having those friends in in all across the world, I feel like the best way to create friends is to do something meaningful with someone. Yeah. And so like I'd love in Brazil, for example, like when I was there, um, there was a guy who ran this tour called Experience Rio and it was just incredible. Like he lived in the favela and he sort of showed us the the intimate uniqueness of the favela. Um, and I spoke to him on WhatsApp and said, look, I'd love to be able to contribute to what you're doing in some way. Like I can't necessarily give my time. I don't necessarily like have the means at this stage to, to give a lot, but I'd love to be able to help you grow your business because what he did was take tourists through and then give people in the community employment. And it's sort of like I, I did a that's cool talking a bit about the micro entrepreneurship there. Like those people were able to empower themselves through what he was doing, get paid way more than they would working in like a crappy resort job. Yeah. And it started to have that flow and effect on the community because people saw there was opportunity. Yeah. And then the internet comes in and they're able to sort of empower themselves in a way to constantly build up. Like we're always striving for progression. That's awesome. So for me, that 10 year goal on the social side would be like, I'd love to be able to find a way to like with the work that I do to use, I guess what I'm trying to build out to give that back to people who really need it and allow them to do something amazing. So I guess that Brazil example would be helping this guy with his thing yeah. um, to you know, foster out this one favela community. And this was a, a community called Vigigal in, in Rio. Yeah. And like the, the videos I have of it are absolutely insane. Like it is like, if there was a, if there was a house in this spot where the favela is, it would be, a $10 million home at least. Like it was Copacabana Beach looking out over the whole of um, wow. Ipanema and Leblanc, which is the other side of yeah. uh, Copacabana. Yeah, yeah. And like phew, insane. Like wow. There's a bar at the top and the energy and life in those communities was just, you can't get that. Yeah. You, well, you were saying when you were in the favelas, the happiness and, and the energy that, that they had there was so much more than what you see day to day in the West, right? Absolutely. Like just, had infectious really like and they didn't even speak english they were speaking portuguese um but i guess like when i travel like i think that would be the thing you know like you go and then you see something like that and i think by him doing that in vigigal i asked him like well how do you fix the problems in brazil and there's tons of problems like government's corrupt and Things like that. It wasn't inflation. Where did you say inflation <laughs> was sitting at? It was, at one stage, I think it was like 200%. That's madness. Yeah. So we're here, like it got to 8% and obviously it's 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 making a lot of people struggle. But imagine, can't even imagine what 200% is like, right? Crazy, right? Um, and it comes back to, you know, that fortune that we have in Australia. Uh, and I guess like, you know, I, I was lucky enough to go to the Philippines for a bit and like had some friends over there. And I think at the time I was younger, so I didn't necessarily have the the power to incite the change but i'd love as you know i build out what i'm doing and for me like i guess the specifics of it would just be finding like if i was to go real specific 10 years it'd be like okay brazil i want to be able to have that friend um james henry over there and have an impact on that community and then maybe somewhere like the philippines for example because i know a few people over there yeah um with the three-on-three basketball we do a bunch of travel Potentially got the opportunity to go to Japan, um, some of the Asian countries, going to Korea this year for some coaching. So a similar thing there, like using basketball as a vehicle to be able to have some kind of social contribution, whatever nice. it is. 
Yeah, okay, nice. I'll have to implement that one. I think I feel like it would take a long time to to downpacked. Like for me to even just sit there and say, okay, these are my ten year goals, five year goals, one year goal, and then and then go down micro to your weekly yeah. uh, weekly task to to point that needle in that direction. I feel like that would take. It, and you're probably forever evolving it as well, right? But yeah. I feel like even just to get that first round of it up, it'd probably take a few weeks to to get some mm. depth there, and then Absolutely. you're constantly constantly changing it. The, I think the process effectively, like I usually take a, on Sunday, I have like two hours set aside, or I did have two three hours set aside to like build this stuff out, and that's the easiest way for most people who are busy to do it. I think, yeah, and that sort of with my systems that I've worked on, like I've sort of refined them out of necessity because I was trying to basically train like a professional athlete. Like I was going hard. Like I was trying to do the Kobe like two sessions a day. Don't yeah. do that as much anymore and discovered that's not ideal. Yeah. But, you know, like trying to just optimize everything and you realize, okay, it has to be in time blocks. But I discovered something pretty powerful in that um, where – I have those times set aside and what I initially tried to do was like I'd read a book and then be like, oh, they talk about the blue flame or something like that. And it f- feels like each book's teaching you some kind of way to, to create what I sort of just described. Yeah. But it all feels different. And then what I realized was like, oh, why don't I just have it all in one place? Um, there's a, and there's a great book that I've recommended to you guys called Traction, yeah. which put it in the simplest way, which was really just like I'd highly recommend read Traction and it has a system. It's like, 10-year vision, three-year um, objectives, one year, get very, very specific in one year yep. and then break it down into 90-day chunks. And they've shown that in the science of motivation and achievement, um, 90 days is the optimal span for projecting things into the future and getting it accurate and also having an attention span for a worthwhile goal. Okay. If you set a goal that's much bigger than 90 days, it's, it's a lot harder to project it accurately and also keep your attention focused on that. Okay. So for most people, if they just literally went like 10 year, one year for those seven areas and then go 90 days and just went hard for 90 days, like I don't know if you've seen that um, Undercover Billionaire. Have you seen that show? No. They did it. Uh, there was a guy, I can't remember his first name, but Grant Cardone who – if people listening to this, they're probably familiar with Grant Cardone. Yeah. Good old Uncle G, <laughs> American real estate guy, but he's everywhere. But he was on it. And effectively, the idea was that they take billionaires and dress them up as normal people. I don't believe that no one knew who Grant Cardone was, by the way. <laughs> but the first guy, his name was Glenn Stearns, and I reckon no one knew who he was. And the the trick was to go, all right, well, you've got nothing. You've got 100 bucks in your pocket. And a I phone. have seen it. And you got to become a, uh, you got to turn that into a million dollars in Build a certain a amount of time. Business. Yeah, and that's right. I was like, this is the coolest thing because I was like, I wish I could just sort of do this to myself and just see what happened. Yeah, but like I just had other stuff on, and I was like, well, I'm not going to quit basketball as well. <laughs> so then, like one of Grant Cardone's quotes that I really like is like, he's like, every day is the Super Bowl. You got to get up and get get after it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I like that because. I seriously think like when you're empowered, like that's what it feels like when you get up out of bed because like that's why I do it. Like I look at the list and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm ready to go. Like I've got energy. And like that's one thing that you and dad say, like where do you get this? Like how does this come from like, yeah. sometimes? And I do use supplements to help. Yeah. Not like steroids or anything like that. Like people say. <laughs> Brain <laughs> steroids. Yeah. But they're all like completely, you know, things you can buy over the counter. Yeah. Um, and they definitely help give boost at times and optimize your energy. Yeah. 
Um, but this, that sort of comes into the, the routines. Like one of the quotes from another guy I really like is Brendan Bouchard, and he's sort of like the nuclear power plant doesn't get energy. It creates its own energy. Yeah. Like nuclear fission is like the most powerful energy production in the world. And yeah. Like effectively that's one of the things that we're trying to harness at the moment. But I feel like that is how energy – most people think of their energy as a finite resource. They think – I need to go home, watch TV to recharge. But it doesn't work that way when you're empowered yeah. and when you're really excited about what you're doing and there is this infinite pool of energy and if you're able to, I guess, follow the biological rule book, have a good system in place and understand like what optimises your biology, then energy just sort of comes really well. Yeah, it's funny you say that because so at the moment of recording, I'm 34, so you'd say like, at 34, you probably start getting a little bit less energy over time and got two kids, six-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, so that oh. drains your energy as well. Um, scaling one business, growing another business. Yeah. So I'm sort of in, in the thick of it at the moment, but I would say my energy levels are probably the highest they've ever been. Um, and it's to do with those routines that I'm routines that, that I'm doing, I'm trying to implement more and more, but there are a few things that I do every single day which has had the biggest impact on me. So I think, um, I think yeah, if you, if you can do certain things every single day which will point that needle in the right direction or would, which will have that right um, effect on your body, then you do, you do have a lot more energy than you think you do. You go home and sit down in front of the TV for three hours at the end of the night, that's not going to give you energy. You're going to feel like absolute fucking shit after Absolutely. you do that. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, I, um, it's funny because like I'll have moments, like for example, one of the biggest energy sapping things that most people don't realize is scrolling through social media. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> because like, and there's, I didn't realize why, but it's basically like mo the, probably one of the biggest traps at the moment is we're having our dopamine stolen from yeah. us. And effectively what that means is that we get rewarded for things that aren't hard because dopamine is supposed to be a molecule that rewards us for doing something that is difficult. Yeah. And when you're scrolling through social media, it sets off a little bit of dopamine because it's like, oh, that was cool, that was cool, that was cool. And you used to have to like search kind of hard for that like, yeah. back in the day. Um, and it's sort of exploring curiosity, but not enough to actually be anything of substance. And like scrolling through social media, like I, I do it pretty quickly and you just feel like your brain's like, bit of mush sort yeah of I, and I, I i wish i didn't have to go on social media but i have to because of work i try to implement things like not having the app when i'm at home and 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 people find it a bit weird because like i'll be out and someone will say oh check this thing on instagram and i'm like oh wait let me download the app yeah, like, yeah. i knew uh, i'm all across social media like every, your partner with ty was saying yeah. every time i open social media i see your head on yeah. social media <laughs> but then when someone's like hey check out this thing i'm like, oh, got to download it or like i don't know how to use it that much it's because of that because it it, it is it is extremely it, it zaps any energy that i have and then like the big thing that i've noticed is in the morning like if i i don't i in the morning i wake up i go to the gym uh, i don't I take my phone with me now in the car because I've got enough control that I don't use any any apps. Yeah. I just listen to something on the way to the gym. And then when I come home, I still don't open it. Like normally after the kids wake up, I've had a shower and and, and probably like two hours after mm. I've woken up, that's when I'll actually go through and um, if I got to check WhatsApp or if I got to check messages or whatever, I'll do that. Jay Shetty said it where he's like, we're not designed to wake up and have 
a hundred people run into our front door and scream at us. Yeah. That's what people are doing, right? You're waking, people are waking up, opening their phone and there's just a thousand notifications there. That has a big impact on your mental health without even realizing. hundred percent. Like the, the biological rule book is such like, if you think about how people are designed to function, like in, in small tribes, you're not meant to be able to go places very quickly. Like you think about the, <laughs> the magnificence that is, being able to fly in a plane and go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> this metal hunk that somehow flies across the world <laughs> was just insane. But effectively, you're designed to be in small tribes with a community of people. And, like, there's – it was funny because you were talking about you were going to go to the Epicurean buffet, which is uh, the buffet at um, the Crown, Yeah, right? And I was like, it's funny it's called Epicurean because, like, when you – like, I've, I guess going into self-development, you get into philosophy as well because – I guess the root of everything is philosophy. Science started as philosophy. It was people trying to discover truth, basically. And Epicurus was a philosopher who essentially his core thing was, you know, enjoying the the pleasures of life. But a lot of people took it to be like a hedonistic pursuit where for him it was more the Eastern pleasures of life, which is just like being happy. Simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Yeah. And one of the things that he was big on and there are actually like Epicurean communities that exist at the moment and I firmly believe this is something that I want to try and cultivate in my life is like having your best friends around you and having a place where like you're in close proximity to like a tribe and a community of people that are similarly aligned. Yeah. And there's there's big pushes for people in my generation to be like that. Like it's kind of hard for us to find those people where we live at the moment in Crow's Nest but, you know, there are people who go off grid and live in Tulum in Mexico and like yeah. have these little digital nomad communities and that kind of thing. But um, the the Epicurean ideal was that you have a small number of people that you're around and you're close to. Yeah. And that is what, you know, fundamentally provides happiness. And the more you try to stretch yourself and the more people you interact with, the more you don't build deep connections, your dopamine sort of just goes haywire and you end up, completely zapping and cooking your energy. Yeah. Um, we're sort of designed to be in, in one place, focused on one particular thing for a short amount of time. Yeah, And that really is, it comes back to that, the dichotomy of like wanting more, wanting to do everything and also being content with what we have. Yeah, finding finding that balance. It's funny how you say you're designed to, we're designed to just have a small community that we interact with all the time. If you, if you, I remember we did a tour years ago when we went to Bali and you go and see how a, a standard family lives in Bali and it's like three generations that yeah. all live in the same house and the house is not really a house that we know in Western culture. It's more like a few huts within a, some sort of enclosed land space. Yeah. But you're getting like the grandparents that are living with uh, all the siblings and then the wife's of wives of the brothers so normally the female goes to the male's house and and there is literally 15 20 people that live in this this one house and that's that's standard and i think that's another reason why depression or anxiety is higher in western cultures is because you have this separation as soon as you turn 18 kids leave home 18 is probably late a lot of people probably leave earlier um you know the the relationship with family and you don't really have a community you don't know who your neighbors are your relationship with your family can be non-existent a lot of the time or you might see them once a month or speak to them on the phone once a month Absolutely. so i think that and then and then yeah people are trying to replace that with this dopamine hit in terms of notifications on social media so i think that's obviously having a big imp- impact there as well 100% and it really is it's a challenging thing cuz like you always kind of want to be like the the lone wolf and you're like ah stuff it i'll take it all on my back and do everything but yeah, that's it's a constant 
sort of, I guess it's a very masculine thing as well. And when you look deeper into that, you sort of understand that the masculine desire is to like sort of conquer and destroy, whereas the feminine is more like nurturing. And I shouldn't use those terms because they're overly gendered, but it's sort of like yin and yang yeah. as such. Uh, but those those things are important to keep in mind because like everyone's going to have their natural tendency toward one or the other. Yeah. Um, and I think engineering a healthy amount of gratitude and contentment and just generally understanding that there are biases that we have. And I guess this was one of the ways that I empowered myself mentally was stumbling across um, a thing called mental models from a guy called Shane Parrish. And it was a channel called uh, Farnham Street. Okay. And he's quite similar to like Ray Dalio in terms of the way that he talks about fundamental principles, but the mental models were really cool. Um, and the, uh, the original idea actually came from Charlie Munger. Yep. Um, and that was, I guess that sort of guided my investment philosophy as such like when i was young i got into warren buffett and charlie munger yeah and charlie's mental models were incredible like just the way that like there are cognitive biases that we all have there's like 46 of them major ones and then there's hundreds of other cognitive biases if anyone's interested in looking at the map type in cognitive biases visual capitalist online and it's got this map of all the ways that we deceive ourselves, completely deceive ourselves. I'll look into that. Yeah, like the overconfidence bias is, is a classic example of one. Like, be like, oh, yeah, do you think you could do X, Y, Z in in the next week? Everyone will say, yep, I can do that. Like, I don't think there's anyone that hits deadlines. Like, if, if you aren't practiced at hitting deadlines, like, this is why project management's a thing. Yeah. Because if you're not practiced at it, you're going to inherently assume that you can achieve way more than you actually can. Yeah. Because we're not good at engineering. (laughs) We're experiencing this ourselves, but you... (laughs) We certainly are. We're not good at engineering uh, specific deadlines and we're always going to be overconfident in what we can achieve. Yeah. And I guess that's why prudence is a thing. Prudence is a, a virtue because it comes from years and years of insight and experience. Um, and that is just one of, of many cognitive biases, I guess, like you know, racism and, and biases, the in-group bias, which is basically like if you don't – the more people don't understand something, the more negative they're likely to be about it. And I yeah. guess this might hint at why our social media sometimes gets a lot of hate because like yeah. people are like, ah, oh, I didn't get it, and then they just – Jump straight to hate. Yeah, I think it's it's yeah. It's, I think one of the reasons is the lack of knowledge. The other ones, it's just the resentment. I think generally the ones who, generally the ones who who are the trolls are the ones that aren't sort of content or happy with sort of where they are in, the, in that aspect of life, and they also just don't know it, so they just assume the worst. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I know I know you did ask about some specific tips and tricks. So I'm wary of of the time, and if anyone was interested at all, like I'd I'd love if people were like, hey, that was really cool. Maybe talk a bit more about this, this or this, because like happy to dive into more of this. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's run into some um, yeah some more more I guess tricks and hacks that you do do, and then and then the listeners can reach out to to you through your Instagram channel that you mentioned, or reach out to our Facebook group Lazy Equity, um, and they can speak to you there as well if you want any more details about any of these things that we're going to run through. Yeah, and absolutely, like I think. Through Lazy Equity, it's it's my personal Facebook profile. And, I mean, that's <laughs> for good or for worse. So if you listen to this and you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. Like, it actually is me on there talking. Like, I'm a big believer in authenticity and I just want to have genuine conversations with people. So Yeah, I love these sorts of topics as well and these, all these sorts of things that we're talking about. This is the first one that I've done. And 
it's gone double time to what all the rest of them <laughs> all the rest of them have and it's just because it's something that um interests me a lot like when i'm living and breathing property i'm talking about property every day um there's sort of a limit there to an extent but this sort of stuff is something that people don't know enough about and i don't get to learn enough about or talk enough about so that's why um we're an hour and 30 or 40 minutes on on in and uh and and we're still going but i think yeah just to be sort of respectful for respectful of the listeners um why don't we get into yeah those tips and tricks and and take it from there absolutely so I think the the best way to think about it, as I hinted on, was effectively I sort of, while it might sound like a lot of independent random things, the way that I think about it is using the calendar. Like if you have your day sort of, I guess, almost scripted out and knowing where each of these things fits within the day, then it becomes a bit of a system that you can use at the right time. Yeah. Um, so like a, just a, a quick run through without going into insane amounts of detail, like a, a rough day, if someone starts by waking up, not checking their phone, getting up and getting 20 minutes of sun first thing in the morning um, and then doing some kind of light exercise, it could literally just be like what I do in my apartment, get up, go for a walk down the same block that I always go and it's like a little loop. I get some sun, I take my phone down with me and I check that uh, the empowerment document. So like whatever I'm thinking about on that day, it changes each day. Yeah. But that document something that I'll constantly add to. Like I think, oh, that's a cool idea. I want to do that. How does that fit within the next 10 years? Like say I really would love to go to Africa, for example. I'm like, oh, well, it's probably not going to be realistic until this time. Then I put it in there and see how it actually works in reality. Yeah. I think most people, everyone has amazing ambitions. Everyone has amazing dreams. But most people don't put it into actual reality and, and make it happen. Yeah. So having something like that, you can understand how it all fits. Yeah. And that gives me so much energy in the morning. Um, and then I go through like... Just on that, sorry. I, I, I totally, I 100% agree with you. i got a friend, um, extremely successful in what he does. And he was having his afternoon coffee and he was feeling like he was crashing quite a bit and he couldn't figure out what it was. He cut out his afternoon coffee and still wasn't really helping. And, and he's got an extremely stressful job and, and is, is, um, is, has a lot of pressure with his job and, and a lot is required of him. Um, all he did was... Uh, he got up. He, he got up, and now he, I said, "What were you, what was your morning routine like prior?" He said he'd get up and get on his phone or on his computer yeah, straight yeah. away. Now what he does is he goes and spends 10, 15 minutes in the sun. Yeah, does a cold shower as well. And I know you're going to talk about that a little bit later, but cold shower in the morning, fifteen minutes in the sun, um, and he says he's got enough energy now to go all the way through the day, even at night time with the family. He's um he's completely different now as well. Just something small like that. Yeah, that's that's crazy and like I definitely feel that way like when it's been an empowered day for me I feel like it's been awesome like I could honestly like Tom Billy talks about this like he's like I could work around the clock I don't know if Tom Billy founded Quest and Impact Theory okay. um, and he's like a very purpose driven guy as well and his show is amazing yeah. um, but he talks about like if it was if it was up to him, he'd work 14 hours a day, but he's there with his wife and so like they, she rounds him out. And the more that I've gone in that, this train of purpose, the more I feel like that. Like I could honestly work 14 hours a day if I wanted to, yeah. sitting down doing stuff like that. And I think some of the supplements that I will talk about allow me to do that incredibly well yeah. as well. Um, but you find it's just this slower release of energy and, and the sun in the morning, it just to, to isolate it to one variable, like and say, oh, you know, what does it do? Oh, well, yeah, it improves your vitamin D and stuff. Like that. I mean, it's it does 160 different things. And that's the thing with science. Like, it's impossible to look at the scientific research for this stuff because research isolates one variable and yeah. tests that. 
you're much better off taking an observational approach and seeing what works and how you actually feel. Yeah. Um, and that's for each person it's different as well, right? Each person will be, I guess like there's, it's sort of like the 80, 20, like the 20% of things that get 80% of the results. Yeah. They will be very similar for most people. Yeah. And then the other 20%, which is the icing that will be a little bit different. Yeah. And I think to talk just a bit about my struggles, like I focused a lot on some of the 20% of things like, should I go keto or should I lift weights at 85% of my max for three reps versus uh, 75% for eight reps? Like that kind of thing. If anyone has delved deep into that world, they'll understand what I'm talking about there. Yeah. But that's kind of the icing. That's the stuff that, I mean, it makes a little bit of a difference, but not really. Yeah. Getting up and moving is what makes the 80% of the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Doing, yeah, the, the, the movement and the walking, like really like the – Walks throughout the day is like the most important thing that we can do for movement and yeah. for training and getting good results. It actually takes a lot less than we think. Yeah. Um, and that's what my system is like, I'm really big on. Like, I feel like anyone can sort of achieve a sub 12% body fat as a male in less than, well, I wouldn't say less than 90 days. You can lose 10 kilos or get below sub 12% body fat in less than five hours a week of, of diligent time between gym, sport, and preparing like food and things Nutrition like that. and whatnot, yeah. But essentially the initial movement is really important, gets the energy going and the sunshine. Yeah. And then you go and have a cold shower like your mate does. Um, and the cold shower like – Pipes were cold this morning. Yeah, <laughs> relatively right <laughs> with the, the rain and things like that. There's a lot of science on the cold shower, but I think one of the main ones that we talked about, there's a certain uh, release of – I think it's about 2.5 milligrams of dopamine – um, and there's a certain substance that also releases a similar amount of dopamine that a lot of people very much enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but only for a short amount of time, yeah, right? exactly. And But when you ingest that form of dopamine, it doesn't last. It lasts for about 20, 30 minutes and then you need to ingest more. Yeah. Whereas with a cold shower, and this is like anything, like the motivational chemicals that get sparked by looking at the, the things that you're really excited about – that produces dopamine that lasts for two to three hours. Yeah. Um, and the more you can constantly remind yourself of that, the more you're optimizing your energy and you're creating your own energy. Because yeah. essentially the game that we're playing, like we're in a meat vessel and we're just one big chemical vat of chemicals and, and neurotransmitters are the things that stimulate our, our genes and our physiology to produce yeah. energy. So the more you can sort of hack that and understand that, the better. Yeah, and no, I, I was while you were talking, I was sort of smiling to myself. And the reason I was smiling was because you were saying that you can increase your dopamine levels for two or three hours with the cold showers. I remember probably like a month ago, I had uh, a pretty big night, and I don't have big nights very often. It was probably the first big night I'd had in like six months or a year or something. I was quite hungover the next morning. I ended up having like four freezing cold showers that day. Like every every like two or three hours, I was getting back in the shower and just having a freezing cold. And also, we go to the, we're going into the beach and it was quite hot. So every time, like you know, if I'd shower one of my kids, by the end of it, I'd have a cold shower or go to the beach, come back really cold shower, and you feel it like almost that hangover that you yeah. feel was gone for a couple of hours after you know it got less and less as the day went on. Um, so there are these hacks that you can do which which improve it. And I'm not encouraging people to go get hungover and take cold showers the <laughs> next day, but um, but the cold shower is something I've implemented probably for about two months now. Yeah. Um, and I noticed the difference. I'm not getting much sleep these days with the two kids and just business and, and whatever it might be. So I'm getting the least sleep that I have been ever. Yeah. But being able to implement cold showers is one of the things that had a massive impact on me. Yeah, that's 
And, like, I think it sounds like, oh, here we go, another one of these morning routines where it's all these complicated things. It's, like, literally, like, I only – like, I feel like I'm – it kind of have started, like, quote-unquote work to me is just, like, what's the most important, most valuable thing for your day? Um, and for me, for it used to be exercise. I used to get up and first thing i do was exercise. But yeah. now that's just such a simple habit for me and I, I love playing basketball. So I'm, like, I just want to go out and hoop and that usually happens in the afternoon. Yeah. So I'm, like, well – for me, the most important thing is to focus on like what is the crazy thing I'm trying to achieve at the moment. Like, yeah. and so I, I do that to optimize my energy, and then within 20, 30 minutes, I'm ready to go. Like, all I need to do is go for that quick little walk. It could be 10 minutes, and then the cold shower takes like two minutes. I don't. I used to do the Wim Hof breathing, but it took like 15 minutes. I don't know if anyone's ever done it, but you have to spend like 15 minutes, and then you. Sort of meditate through it, and I was like, it's just too much friction. Yeah, I just want to get up and go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I find that like my partner still really struggles to get up out of bed, and she's a little bit different. But she says like, oh, look, when I do do it, um, it's easy, and like for me, it's just a non-negotiable. And I think a lot of people overestimate discipline. It's not really about discipline. It's more just like making a non-negotiable. And once you do it for thirty days in a row, it's just like, oh well, I have to do it. Like I don't love having a cold shower when I have it. But as soon as I'm in the water for about three seconds, it's like, oh, this is fine. You get used to it. Exactly. That's right. There's this um, there's this hack that um, Andrew Huberman talks about in, on his podcast about the cold showers. And it's if you can if you can do simple mathematical equations or other simple problem solving while you're under the cold shower, you're training your body to be able to think logically under stress mm-hmm. under when your when your uh, adrenaline is at sky high because we're all going to go through times during the day, whether it's with work or family or whatever it might be, where adrenaline can increase under stress if you're able to train yourself under other under controlled sort of experiments to be able to think logically it's going to help so much next time your toddler gives you the shits or next time (laughs) someone at work gives you the shits or something it's uh it's it's funny how you can do those sorts of hacks which have such a big impact on your day-to-day life absolutely and i guess one other hack i also sort of double the cold shower up as like a meditation so like i i I haven't tried the complex problem solving i just try to use it as a time to like check in with my body and see how it's feeling. And that's like what they teach you in meditation. Like I've done mindfulness courses and been lucky enough to be a part of those and use the Headspace app for like three years. Nice. And, uh, I don't use it as much anymore because I feel like I've – like this is what um, monks will sort of talk about is that once you're practiced enough in meditation and mindfulness, mindfulness actually just sets the tone for you to be ready for observation and most people don't even know how to observe how they're feeling. Yeah. Um, and that's what meditation should be about. Sure. But I guess mindfulness really, the practice of it is being able to understand how are you actually feeling and being able to separate yourself from your emotions. And this yeah. is where like when you think of your body as like a, a chemical vat as such, the chemicals are the emotions and they're stimulating certain things. Yeah. And so by checking in mindfully in the morning, you start to stimulate the habit of, of, I guess, optimizing yourself to be ready to receive whatever comes. Yeah. Um, and then I think most of the day from there, because I've practiced mindfulness for so long, becomes an exercise in mindfulness. Like if I notice that I'm a bit more stressed, I do that physiological sigh, for example, the yeah. inhale through the nose twice, exhale through the mouth. Yeah. Um, and what, what monks will talk about, like Zen monks, for example, I did some some Zen work actually. Um, they talk about their meditation is cleaning because they're just fully engrossed in the cleaning and yeah. they they do it mindfully. 
and most people are trying to distract themselves with TV and stuff like that. I'm furthest from being in the same mindset as Mark's. My mind goes a million miles an hour and yeah. I, I struggle to be mindful or present or anything. But generally in the mornings after um, sort of go to the gym and do a bit of a routine and the family's still asleep, that's when I'll um, get the kitchen in order. And that's quite peaceful for me. I normally put on some um, meditation music yeah. or some just really light, mm-hmm. really light music um, that's got some some zen to it. Yeah. And I, I do the dishes and I actually don't mind it because it's sort of that peace and quiet before the day starts. TV's off, very light music in the background so I can sort of resonate with that, which is really strange. I used to be like, fucking hate doing the dishes yeah. and distract yourself with like <laughs> TV and all this other stuff. But if you're just present there doing it, thinking about, you know, whatever it is you're thinking about, then it, it, it becomes more enjoyable. For sure. And you can understand how things have an effect on your physiology. I think the more, like that's probably the biggest thing that science taught me was that everything has an effect on your physiology. So if you perceive the dishes as something that sucks and you hate it or anything you perceive as you hate it, then you're, you're going to affect your physiology and you're going to hate it. Yeah. Whereas if you tell yourself, no, this is awesome. And like to an extent, obviously, like you're never going to like eating like eating a piece of carpet or something like that. That's just never going to work. But effectively, you can tell yourself that something's good and and your brain will start to create those positive associations with it and it will have a positive impact on you. Yeah. I notice this when I go home to my parents' place. Like they still have have music on all the time. The TV's always on and it's just like – feels messy yeah. in my head because yeah, yeah. I, I like the silence and the more that I've got into meditative practice, the more that I've realized is it allows me like the day should be a meditation and that's what the Dalai Lama, for example, would talk about. It's like you live in meditation and I, it's it's almost like that's what enlightenment is, is and I'm not saying I'm enlightened because there's a lot more to it yeah. but effectively in the beginning at the very base of it it's simply just being able to live your life presently and not react outside of the values that you want to live within yeah and being able to just take things as they come instead of being controlled by your emotions it's sort of like you can be the observer in the eye of the storm instead of being in the storm Um, that's one of the analogies they talk about and and that is a really powerful hack to be able to understand um, the concept of mindfulness and I still react adversely sometimes like sometimes my partner will annoy me and I don't react in the best way yeah. and it's not a, a good way to be and I find if I was able to be mindful all the time and regularly practicing more um, I would be better at that Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting dichotomy because I guess the next sort of habit that I do is well I guess I, I'll skip one just to talk about this quickly like I, I usually fast and I'd have my first coffee 90 minutes at least after waking up because that helps to mitigate the negative cortisol effects and your energy tends to be a lot better. So I have coffee with L-theanine. So L-theanine is a a compound in tea and that slows the release of the caffeine and allows it to be a bit more of a brain beneficial compound, the caffeine. So last longer, release slower, last longer as opposed to a short and sharp. Yeah. Peak and then crash. L-theanine traditionally uh, is relaxing. It's a relaxant and it has positive effects on the brain as well. Okay. I just buy an L-theanine capsule on iHerb. Uh, it's pretty, it's really good. And like a lot of the popular coffee supplements like those, um, I don't know, Think Coffees and things like that, they all have L-theanine in them. Right. And you might be thinking, oh, well, why don't you just have green tea? I would love to have green tea. I actually enjoy green tea, but... For some reason, I think it's the tannins in the tea, which is essentially the antioxidants, 
Yeah. I can't have it and fast. And for me, fasting is a really powerful lever for me to be able to maintain a lower body fat. Yeah. I enjoy eating big meals. Um, and I, I like... You are eating often. I'm not going to lie. You're <laughs> eating great food often, but you are eating often. Well, like, that's the thing. Like, I don't eat until, like, 12 or 1. Yeah. And then by the time From I do eat, onwards. it's a big, big meal. Yeah. Um, and fasting has been shown to have positive effects on, like, brain drive, neurotropic factor, um, as well as it can improve your, your stomach because, like, a lot of the time when you're digesting all the time, your stomach doesn't have the ability to repair itself. Sure. So... I think fasting is, is quite good for focus. So what I find for most people, and this sort of ties back into the first hack, is if you're able to have, like say I get up at 7, by 7.30, I've had my cold shower, I've gone for that little walk, energy's optimised, and then I have like a some hot water. I actually have like this vinegar drink because like it's a bit, most people probably think it's pretty rank. But if you have some kind of slight acid – in the morning, it gets your digestion optimized and okay. keeps things, I guess, going. And the warm water is really good as well. So, should I? Because I have apple cider vinegar with a glass of water every night. Am I better off doing that in the mornings? It's also good at night. Um, do they have different effects? Different effects. Yeah, I mean, should I do no, morning and night? Morning and night, absolutely <laughs> similar. It's similar because, like, what you're trying to do in the evening, like apple cider vinegar, has a number of things that it does, and it does. It's been shown to improve sleep. Yeah. Um, Tim Ferriss talks about mixing it with honey. For, for certain reasons, but in in the evening it'll improve your digestion, so it's good before bed to help improve that. Yeah. In the morning it's it's similar, um, and I, like exact physiology. There's probably a number of things that it does. Yeah. But it's just generally positive those acidic compounds. I yeah. think vinegar with most foods is really good, particularly because like acidic compounds can help lower the glycemic index of foods. Okay. So. Blood sugar control is one of the things that really affects your energy massively. And if your blood sugar is constantly spiking, not only is it terrible for your energy, but it's I firmly believe it's probably the main thing that contributes to most um, chronic disease. When, when someone has poor blood sugar control, it, excess blood sugar in the bloodstream is really bad for your organs. Yeah. Um, and the, like when people get cardiovascular disease... They talk a lot about cholesterol being the thing that clogs the arteries, but it's actually the, the cholesterol is a um, signaling molecule for healing. So the like the theory that people are headed towards now is that the glucose in the bloodstream is damaging because it's sort of acidic to the, the vessels and the cholesterol is there to repair the damage. So it's not actually the fat and the cholesterol that's causing the damage. It's the sugar and the excess uh, carbohydrate that's in the bloodstream. Yeah, interesting, which is what is activating the fat and the cholesterol. Well, it's just sending the cholesterol is there because it's like the cholesterol is like the fireman trying to repair it. Yeah, interesting. Um, and that's a whole another rabbit hole. Like, yeah. I'm having flashbacks to a podcast I listened to, listened to when <laughs> I was 16 of people talking about that. Um, but yeah, effectively, the the blood sugar control. So cold shower improves yeah. your blood sugar control. Exercise and movement improves blood sugar control, and apple cider vinegar improves it. Yeah. So I have. Apple cider vinegar with some um, cinnamon. Yeah. And I picked up a lot of this stuff actually from a guy called Thomas Delora, who's on YouTube and he he works with like executives and he's absolutely jacked. Um, he's a big guy and he's a keto kind of guy. Yeah. I don't but he's, he doesn't always do keto, but he's got some really good tips if people are more curious on that. Okay. Um, and so I'll have that, but you can also have like hot water and lemon, yep. which a lot of people will probably prefer to be honest yeah and that's good just to get things moving 
Ayurvedic medicine does that a lot. And I like a hot drink in the morning and I used to love coffee and most people actually just want the hot drink. They don't necessarily want the coffee. Yeah. But because I'm waiting 90 minutes to two hours, the more you can wait for your coffee, the better it's sort of going to be for your energy. Yeah. So I'll have that and pretty much at 7.30, this is a tip I got from Craig Ballantyne. It's like the morning routine is a load of bollocks and like I completely agree. Like if you're trying to be a monk, then most of those morning routines and journaling and all that is really important. But for me, I'm like I want the lowest amount of friction possible to get started. Yeah. Alex Hormozy also talks about that a lot as well. Yeah. Um, I'm name dropping a lot of guys, but you know, we talk a lot about Alex yeah. and he's just one of these guys who's become a bit of a meme lately for just being a bit of a boss. <laughs> um, but effectively it's like just get in and do the thing that is most important for your day. Yeah. Uh, and since I started doing that, like productivity went up massively. And I guess it was because I was so energized to go into work that like I didn't even want to wait. I'd just be like, what's the most important thing? I knew the night before what my day was going to look like. Yeah. I knew, and this is actually another thing to do, like if you can sort of preview your day, the six-phase meditation recommends doing that as well. Yeah. By by thinking about it beforehand, it's a bit of that like observer effect. You think about it before and then you start to lay the tracks in your brain of, okay, this is what I need to work on. And for most people, if they could master the the subconscious brain and master the idea that, like your brain does the work for you when you're thinking subconsciously. Yeah. Daniel Kahneman wrote uh, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. And the thinking fast is like in the moment brain. Thinking slow is when you just allow things to happen. And that's yeah. why a lot of people have their best insights in the shower, for yeah. example. Going for walks. Or- Absolutely. Einstein used to work walk all the time. Yeah. And that's one of my big hacks that I I do. Like I came up with this concept of like the aerobic intellectual, which was like if you want to get shredded – Go for a walk for 60 to 90 minutes, longer preferably, and put on an audio book or a a podcast. And for a lot of people, that might be the most important thing for their day because their their day is so hectic when they're at work. They can't walk at any other time and they're trying to optimize their body. So that's where like 7.30, you just do that thing that's most important. And then, you know, after I guess 90 minutes um, after waking, so – usually around nine, yeah. have a black coffee, don't have anything in it, yeah. have that L-theanine with it. Yeah. And for me, I track my sleep with this thing called like an aura ring. You can yeah. track it with anything, but the aura has got some pretty powerful insights for um, your heart rate variability, how well recovered I am in line with how well I slept. Yeah. And I'll probably, I'll be in bed sometimes for like nine hours, but I only have slept seven and a half hours yeah. because there's a lot of junk in your sleep. So... For me, sleep's probably they talk about sleep as like a superpower. Yeah. The the simplest way to optimize your sleep is it starts in the morning by getting up. that sunshine. Yeah. And then also, like if I have a coffee later than ten, uh, like eleven at the latest, I know that I won't sleep as well. Because yeah. the, the quarter life of caffeine is twelve hours. Yeah. So I'm trying to get to bed by ten. And if I've had a coffee at 11, there's still going to be a little bit of caffeine in my system. Yeah, It's also a dosage thing. So two coffees, I think, is the sweet spot for most people, which is about 200 to 300 milligrams yeah. of caffeine. Um, but if people are struggling with sleep, like I know hopefully Dad listens to this. He was talking about struggling a bit sometimes and like he'll have coffees at like four or five sometimes. And I think like just cutting – like. 
I was I was really reluctant because like, I love coffee. I'm a big coffee man. Yeah. And if I could have coffee until 8 p.m. at night, I would. And I used to be like, oh, yeah, the cutoff's 2 p.m. And I was like, 2 p.m., I'd have my last cup of green tea. Yeah. But you just, like, it does affect sleep. Like, if, if you ever had that tired but wired feeling, like you're tired but you just can't get to sleep, yeah. chances are it's because of the caffeine, the denazine blunt, Blunting that comes from caffeine. Yeah, I um, so I cut out my afternoon one a long time ago. Now I have um, mushroom, yep. mushroom tea, um, just for clarity. But also, um, I, I I was struggling to sleep in the afternoons. I wasn't having it late. I was having coffee at like one o'clock or two o'clock. Yeah. Now I just have that mushroom tea. Still got caffeine. It's yep. got black tea in there as well. But it's it's just a lot less. It's mm-hmm. not as strong, and I have no issues sleeping with that. But generally, I, I wouldn't have that any later than three o'clock. But I'm yeah. normally in bed by like eight thirty. And that's from, that's impressive, and I guess you get up at like four, right? So yeah, four thirty. I'm four four fifteen. I'm normally up. And this can all be scaled back, but I guess like the sleep things, the two biggest things that changed the game for me was, oh, well, three I should say that sun in the morning with a bit of movement, caffeine latest twelve hours before you want to go to bed. Yeah. So I mean, for you, it's it's a little different, but I think it's probably a dosage thing as well. Like yeah. you have one in the morning early, and yeah. then you have another one later. Is that sort of? I have one at six in the morning straight after the gym. Yeah. And then uh, and then I have uh, the the mushroom tea at like one o'clock maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So that like if I find if I have like three in a day or four, I maybe put three. Let's put it that way. I no matter what time I have it, I will struggle to sleep. Yeah. So it definitely is a dosage thing. And caffeine just like it has all these amazing things. Like it improves your fat oxidation and fat burning. So if someone wants to get really shredded, then getting up, doing that what I suggested, and then going for a, a walk with uh, caffeine after ninety minutes and then going for a walk, like it'll just improve fat oxidation massively. So doing like aerobic activity with caffeine. Yeah. They've shown, like, it's called an ergogenic aid in exercise science. They've yeah. shown if you have caffeine, it improves your performance by, like, 10 20% sometimes. Wow. So okay. it's just resistance to fatigue, basically. Like, we've all probably experienced that you have caffeine and you just, like, can go yeah, way that's, harder. Yeah, that's true. With bicarb soda. Yeah, well, <laughs> bicarb soda is another one of those hacks. Did you actually try it? No, because I wasn't uh, – we're digressing a little bit, but I wasn't going to end up doing the Opens, the CrossFit Opens, because – going to Noosa this weekend, Central Coast the following weekend, oh, and yeah. I just thought I'm not going to have time to do it. But then yeah. I got to the gym Monday morning just to do a normal session, and one of the other girls was doing the workout. I got peer pressured into it. <laughs> uh, but I think the next time, maybe this weekend, if I if I plan to do it, if I can find somewhere in Noosa to do it, I'd love to try that hack. Yeah, the bicarb soda one's like pretty popular in sports science, but if you have it 90 minutes before exercise, because bicarb soda is a physiological buffer, so it effectively can go acidic or basic, based on the, um, the acidity of the bloodstream, yeah. then it'll buffer out some of the hydrogen ions so you won't experience as much lactic acid. Okay. Commonly, CrossFit's the perfect sport for it. Like yeah. in a 400 metres, hypothetically, let's say I ran it in 60 seconds, um, it has to be beyond, it has to be anaerobic, so it has to be 400 metres basically because yeah. the others are too short. That's all the creatine phosphate system. Yeah. But you could probably run it in like 57, 58 seconds. Um, wow. and, and most athletes... Knock off about 5 to 5%. Yeah, like absolutely, 5%. Uh, and there's there's research on it. Um, and I think it depends on if you how trained you are as well. Yeah. But because the more trained you are, the more the better you are going to be buffering those that lactic acid. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, that is 
a powerful one, it's it's absolutely awful to do those. So you have to be <laughs> gotta have a strong stomach. Get the dosage right and have an empty stomach, but it's not one I use all the time, but it is a really cool hack to try. Yeah, I'll definitely try it at some stage and, and let you know how it goes. If any of you guys, if any of you guys listening, uh, give that a crack, let us know how it goes as well. Yeah. Um, you can find everything online uh, in terms of sort of dosages and, and, and how to do it. If you do it, put it in the Lazy Equity group and hashtag bike up soda hack. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see if we get some content in there. Mate, I think we've um, touched on a ton of value. Is there anything else that you wanted to share um, for the purpose of, of this podcast? Yeah, I guess like we've been going for a while. Just I think quickly to touch on some compounds that really help move that needle forward. Um, so like if you optimize that first part of the day, then the rest of the day goes really well. And a lot of people might be thinking, oh, well, what about like the 2 p.m. crash? So usually like one or two coffees is good to get me going for that first block. And then with fasting, like your focus is optimized. So you don't necessarily need to worry about it. You once most people struggle at like one two p.m. when they eat their biggest meal, yeah. And I don't really eat many carbs in that meal usually. Um, I sort of have gone to like a more carnivore-ish diet, and I find that easiest for me to maintain a lower body fat. Yeah, whole bunch of reasons on that, which we can talk about at a later time. But the the post meal can sometimes be tough to get back into that focus because your body's energy shifts towards digestion. Yeah. So you were talking about mushroom coffee. Um, what I find has a similar effect to the caffeine, but in terms of stimulation, but it doesn't have the negative effects on sleep and things like that. Yeah. I'll have in pill form. I used to take it like with caffeine and there's a lot of popular compounds that have coffee with caffeine, uh, with lion's mane. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's quite popular, but I'll just have the lion's mane in pill form. Yeah. And that is, there's things called nootropics, which is like for your brain. That is the biggest game changer for, for brain function I've ever stumbled across. It's like it's like that limitless movie. And do you take it daily? Daily, yeah. Except for on weekends. Like yeah. only when I really need to. Like I try to be sparing with, with these things when I need them. Yeah. So I'll have caffeine every day, but <clears throat> if I can if I don't need the cognitive boost, then I won't take it. Yeah. But Lion's main, like when you need it and you need to get into a mode of focus is crazy. It's like Better than coffee. You'll have to spike my drink one day. Yeah. Well, you have it in your mushroom tea. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think it's... Um, I think... Are you just taking lion's mane? Just on its own. Yeah, so the one I take, and I've learned this now after doing a bit more research, the one I take has like three different types of yeah. mushrooms in it, and generally the supplements that have a mix of supplements in them, mix of different ingredients in them, aren't going to be as pure, as strong. So I think I am going to change to to something which is just... Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know which... What, what, what yet, but something that's a bit more isolated because you're going to get it in a more pure form. Yeah, like, well, lion's mane on its own is incredible. Like, I mean, I, like I've i been in the car and took some some travel sickness tablets and then just had lion's mane and, like, you just – it's like you lit on fire cognitively. Like, it's crazy wow. how, how good it is. Um, and they don't actually know why as well. But you can just get it on iHerb. Like, and iHerb's probably going to – like, I don't know if it will soon run out of supply, but – um, there's all different forms that keep coming up and it's just super simple. Like you can actually grow it at home even. Yeah, um, and it's just a r- incredibly powerful mushroom. And like, I can't underestimate how good it is. Like that's literally been a game changer. Like if I didn't have lion's mane, I would probably be like half the person. Then I <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, so there's, there's that one. And then like, I guess if you need like a second boost after that, which most people would, 
Um, so like it gets to four and I'm like, oh, I want to keep working or do something mentally productive, then I'll just have like a backup of either like a ginkgo-based supplement, which you can get on iHerb. Um, there's bacopa-based supplements, which you can also get on iHerb. Yeah. And I'd recommend them without caffeine just so it doesn't affect your sleep. You're taking it quite late, right? If yeah. you them in the afternoon. Take it late. Um, you can even get some of these at Chemist Warehouse. And then the third one, and I'll put these in the notes, is like a Brahmi-based supplement. Yeah. And they, they're all like three different compounds and they have different effects on your neurochemistry, but they have similar feelings of mental stimulation. Okay. So I kind of like to mix them up a bit just so that like you're not – just stimulating one pathway yeah and i find that's just a really easy way to hack your way into like insane productivity and just feeling good and being able to get into a flow state yeah um and for most people like that's that's going to be the biggest game changer mentally and it'll allow them to enjoy their work a lot more and and work a lot better and then i guess if you want to try fasting and extend your fasting black coffee and mineral water are the two biggest hacks there like especially the mineral water because that can really sort of blunt appetite. Yeah, okay. So if you're worried about how much you're eating and you're like, oh, like one thing I try to do is eat to like 80% full. Yeah. Um, and a good way to, to offset that is like 80% full is a good amount to sort of stay lean without having to think too much about counting your calories. Yeah. Um, and then you can have some mineral water like 30 minutes after or if you're still fasting, during fasting, and it'll sort of blunt the appetite a little bit. Interesting. Okay, so I – I, I tried fasting years ago. Um, my body wasn't as sensitive or I wasn't as aware of my body when I tried it as I am now. So I'd love to try it again. But when I tried it years ago, it wasn't something that I really noticed much from. I just got hangry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think now that I am more aware of it, my body, how it reacts and how different things are improving in different ways, I think I'll give it another go yeah. and see how I go. But, um, but yeah, when I did try it previously, it didn't really work for me. It's tough because you're training in the morning, but... For most people, like if they're, if they're fasting and they haven't necessarily trained or they've just done a walk, then having it like, you know, you have a black coffee that yeah. blunts your appetite and you're usually not hungry for an hour or two and then have a mineral water, yeah. usually not hungry for an hour or two after that. Yeah, okay. And then it feels like a breeze to not eat until 1 p.m. Yeah, okay. But if you're really super hungry and you've tried it for more than 14 days, then I usually just go, all right, well, I'll eat a bit earlier today. Yeah. And the main reason I use that, just one last point to touch on it, is just because, like, when I do have a blowout, like, if I want to go out and have a massive night or eat some crap, yeah. then next day I can just be like, oh, well, I'm fasting. And I don't – like, it doesn't affect me as much because at the end of the day it's about your weekly energy balance. Yeah. So, like, we're, we're a calorimeter, which basically means that we're going to burn through calories at a certain rate. Yeah. And no matter what you do, it's all about energy balance. Yeah. And a lot of the tips and tricks and, like, the ketos of the world and stuff like that, it just helps you to – I guess, shift your energy balance so that you, well, I shouldn't say shift. It helps you to just maintain your energy balance a lot more easily yeah. and control your hormones as such. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, really, like, fasting is the easiest lever you can pull to lean down in, in the most simple way that suits most busy people's lifestyles, Yeah, really. Okay. Cool, mate. Look, I think um, I think we've added a ton of value in this odd, odd two hours. There was lots of people that you mentioned, there was lots of uh, supplements that you mentioned, there was lots of hacks that you mentioned as well. So as we mentioned prior, if you guys want any more information, they can reach out on the Lazy Equity group or on your Instagram page, which is 
Yeah, Sapiens Health. Sapiens Health. We can put that in the show notes as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, they can reach out on there. Lazy Equity uh, Group on Facebook. If you guys have any other questions, um, please reach out. Otherwise, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. And thanks a lot for coming on, Ben. Absolutely. No worries. I just want to be approachable and um, hopefully add value to the community. So Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. You've added a ton of value today. Thanks, mate. <laughs> awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Lazy Equity Podcast. The advice given on this podcast is of a general nature only, and you should make your own decisions before taking any financial risks. If you would like to stay in touch with the show, join the Lazy Equity Facebook group or find the Investors Agency on Instagram and Facebook.